This is Unfiltered, episode 180 for March 16th, 2016. Russian President Vladimir Putin has ordered some troops to withdraw from Syria. Uh, this is specifically coming from Russian state media. Uh, I have the note that Putin said they have achieved their goals in Syria. What does that mean? Trump had a big Tuesday, so did Hillary. And Kasich, he freaking won Ohio. Can you believe that? Wow. And, oh, yeah, there's other things going on, plus her cyber updates, plus the CIA, plus the NSA, and all that fun jazz. <laughs> that other stuff. Yes. My name is Chase. Welcome to another episode of Unfiltered, Jupiter Broadcasting's weekly show about the news that you shouldn't be watching. I'm Chase. That laugh you heard, that's Chris. Hey there, buddy. Yeah, remember, we're kind of like your veggies for your mind. Yes. You can go about, here, we are your license to watch those shows that you love to watch. You Name, name a popular show, like your Walking Deads, right? What's another show people like to watch? You uh, got- Deep Space Nine, all the way. <sighs> Okay, well, fine. House of Cards, right? You want to go binge some House of Cards? This is how you make up for it. The man in the high castle. You tune into your unfiltered show, and we'll catch up on all the stuff that you tuned out from right here. So that way you can avoid going crazy. Coming up on this week's episode, Chase. Yes. Yeah, we do have some very interesting cyber updates. We're going to start with an NSA update, then we'll go into the case the media is making for cracking phone encryption. It's pretty good. We've got some clips for that. And then we'll go into terrorism. We'll talk about Russia pulling out of Syria. We will also talk about Obama's nomination for the Supreme Court That's today. That's right, just broke today. And then we'll get into the 2016 race. That's right. And then towards the end of the show, guess what? We're going to end on a high note. We'll ha- no, no, no. no. Oh. Something even better. Something even better. Oh. Overtime. We'll have overtime towards the end of the show. So guess what, Chase? What, Chris? With all of that said, are you ready to start with our NSA update to begin mm, with the what? technology? I always like to start the cyber Let's fresh. open up the stack. Are you ready to it's open up the stack and ASL. go in? ASL, let's do it. Let's do it. Since Edward Snowden blew the whistle on the National Security Agency in 2013, many have been shocked to learn about the spy agency's capabilities, from intercepting text messages and emails, tracking the location of phone calls, to mapping out your social media networks and web history. The scope of its abilities have many civil liberties advocates up in arms, but just how many government agencies have access to your most sensitive data collected by the NSA? According to the Obama administration, it's not enough. RT correspondent Anya Parampil explains. Are you familiar with, are you hip to what she's talking about? Are you getting this? So basically, you have no idea how much they collect, but they need more. They need more. The Obama administration is slated to begin allowing the NSA to share the communications it collects with more government agencies. The move is significant because it will not require other agencies like the FBI to apply any screens for privacy. In other words, as PrivacySOS.org says, in short, domestic law officials now have access to huge troves of American communications obtained without warrants that they can use to put people in cages. Good. Until this change was made, agencies... (laughs) Wait, 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 Chris, remember, hey, remember, if you haven't done anything wrong, yeah, and if you have nothing to hide, what's the big deal? Right. Nothing to fear. Nothing to fear. You haven't done anything wrong. The CIA only had access to the NSA's data if the NSA came across information it believed was important for their colleagues to see and passed it along. Now the databases will be completely open to other intelligence agencies. For example, under the old system... 
An NSA employee could share part of your email or phone conversation with the FBI if they believed it was pertinent to an ongoing investigation. As a result of these changes, other agencies will now have direct access to the raw data themselves and can scan it without reason or warrant. The Washington Post has noted this practice was already known to be in place, with agencies like the IRS, for example, using NSA data. Reporter Radley Balco writes, on one hand, I guess it's better that this new data sharing policy is acknowledged in the open instead of carried out surreptitiously. On the other hand, there's something even more ominous about the fact that they no longer feel as though they need to hide it. Well, I'll tell you what this really is, in my estimation. That's how we, go. That's how we roll. This is really uh, Obama tidying things up as he wraps up his uh, last year in office. You Finishing gotta, it up. Yeah. You've got to codify some of this stuff before you go. So that way the next president is inheriting something that's just already in place. Not a big deal. I and mean, remember... All this stuff is just for your protection, except for when terrorists use it. I feel safe already. Before Paris, Abaoud was suspected of guiding European jihadis in attacks in France and Belgium. But the attempts were all foiled. In one of them, an iPhone belonging to one of the jihadis was confiscated. Oh, what? Now, oh, oh, now, hmm, a witness here, something, isn't this, we're, we're, The timing of this is very interesting, isn't it? iPhone obviously is getting a lot of coverage right now because the FBI wants into that iPhone. They want to open up that iPhone. Crack that baby open. Yeah. And so all of a sudden now we're tying it back to several terrorism cases like the attack in Paris. It was not useful in finding Abaoud because it was encrypted. Oh. We've been told, and I want to confirm it, that the encrypted phone may have prevented you from getting information about the Paris attacks. Keyword That's a theory that really needs to be looked into. It's a theory that needs to be looked into. But to do so, we really need to be able to get into that phone. You know, I say all these smartphones make justice blind because they deprive us of a lot of information that could contribute to our investigations. Well, the fight against terror needs some help from technology. That was part of Leslie Stahl's 60 Minutes report on encryption and the challenge for investigators trying to get information from the Paris attack ringleader's phone. Uh, That dilemma is drawing comparisons to the trouble the FBI is facing as it tries to unlock the San Bernardino shooter's iPhone. Convenient, don't you think, Mr. Chase? Mm, Very oddly convenient. Yeah, oddly convenient. And, you know, what you got to worry about is those encrypted apps. So new technology making it easier than ever for terrorists to plan and launch their attacks from their cell phones. They're using encryption on Apple iPhones to send messages in secret. ISIS capitalizing on a new app that is called Telegram. Not that new. No, and Telegram's got like millions of users and like 10,000 of them are maybe ISIS members. If you can even consider them ISIS members. Whatever you want to call them. uh, Jihadi extremists. Radical extremists. Whatever you want to call them. Say 10,000 of them. Our 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 telegram on telegram. Chris, all we know telegram is is being ran by the CIA anyway, right? But its inventor saying that that is not at all what he intended. You know, the inventor, which is interesting, they don't actually go out of their way a lot to make a big deal out of. The inventor is Russian. Oh, now they mention it, but you could see in another report how they would go out of their way. To mention that the creator of the terrorist number one uh, uh, communications program on iOS is Russian. (gasps) 
You could see how they would make a big deal out of that. Oh, yeah. Yet they choose not to. They mentioned that he's Russian, but that's about Maybe it. they're trying to score an interview with Putin and they don't want to piss him off. I think it's more about underscoring that there's technologies out there and that something that was created for good could be used for bad. And it's interesting. As we get into this, they'll make this case and it falls apart around them. This was something that you created to allow democracy to flourish, to allow dissidents in Russia and in other countries to communicate with each other. This is the CBS interview with the Telegram creator, founder. And then all of a sudden you find out that that this terrorist group uses your site for completely different reasons. Yeah, we were hired. There's an irony there. Uses your site. So this million dollar millionaire reporter who makes millions of dollars a year to report national news to one of the country, one of the world's most important countries, can't be bothered to learn the difference between an app and a website. And I know some people would say that I'm just picking well, it's nitpicking. both, Chris, because you can use the website to send messages. <laughs> I, but I think it's actually worth noting. It's true. That I, I actually think that's important that these reporters who go out there and report on such an important story about they don't ISIS get it right. They don't get the detail. I right. think that matters. Yeah, it does matter. But, but this terrorist group uses your site. You know, if, if we were reporting on our audience holds us to that standard. That's true. For completely different reasons. Yeah, we were hired There's an them. irony there. There is. But, you know, there's little you can do because if you allow this tool to be used for good, it, 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 there will always be some people who would misuse it. Fox News National Security Analyst Katie McFarlane is here. She's a former Deputy Assistant Secretary of Defense for President. Now watch, you know, Katie, she's always a little frazzled and she never knows quite, you know, she wants to really sound like she's bouncing off the other reporter, but she never knows quite how to read them. So watch as she, as she finishes Katie's introduction here, Katie, she doesn't quite know when to pull the trigger. KT, welcome. Um, good to have you here this morning. This is a <laughs> chilling report on 60 Minutes last night, and it talked about the fact that the, the Bataclan killers right. in Paris downloaded his app that he created in Russia called Telegram. So the, the killers in Paris downloaded Telegram, his app. That day. That day. Oh. So now remember, they're just talking about how Telegram is encrypted, the iPhone is encrypted, you can't read it, you have no way of knowing what they were messaging, and the day of the attack, he downloaded Telegram, you have no way of knowing what was said. Day of the attack, and they transmitted messages on it that said, okay, we're ready to go. Wait a minute. Whoa, whoa. How does she know what they said if they were transmitting? Nice. Yeah. It's because they- And how would they know that he downloaded it that day? Dang. It's also, they, they were using SMS, which we will get to. They were not using Telegram. Now, they can't get into those phones, um, and it's very frustrating to the French. So they can't get into the phone states. You just heard her say and that. It's very frustrating. Understandably, and we have the same situation going on here with the San Bernardino killers. we got to figure this out. Yeah, we absolutely have to figure it out because it's going to happen again and again and again. It's going to happen again and again, 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 again. and again. And, and here's where the, the sort of the arguments are, and nobody's being really honest about it. They're not being straightforward. The FBI, for example, says, look, we know, Apple, you can build an unhackable phone or iPhone, or iPad, or MacBook Air, but what... <laughs> I like, she's gonna, you have anything else you want to mention? You want to mention other Apple iMac? products, yeah. uh, Apple TV, <laughs> iPod, come on. For there to be a back door, and then we're going to get... You give us the key to the back door, so if we need to get in give there the in a, one or two cases, we'll have the... Actual- Actually, I, it's amazing that, again, on national news, uh, KT McFarlane, a well-paid Fox News analyst, they're not asking for an encryption key. In fact, 
I bet Director Comey would be disappointed to hear the F, uh, to hear Fox News representing it this way because they're not asking it. That this is a huge distinction. They are not asking for an encryption key. They are asking for Apple to remove the ten in your dead lockout. Ten in your dead. Ten in your dead. It was over and over again in the hearing committee. They want them to remove the ten in your dead lockout so that way they can do infinite amounts of attempts and then eventually crack it. They're not asking for a backdoor. They just want to crack the pin code and they don't want the device to wipe. Oh, and they also want the timeout removed. Move. They're not asking for an encryption backdoor key at all. We're going to get you give us the key to the backdoor. So if we need to get in there in a, one or two cases, we'll have the access. Um, and even if you don't want to give us the key, you keep the key, but let us get in there. And then Apple comes back and says, well, the problem is if we let you, the United States government, we have a big market overseas. The Chinese will want the same rights. The Iranians will want the same. Or how do we keep them out and, and let you in? And so that Apple Computer and other technology companies are it's saying... It's actually just Apple Inc. now. And we're just going to build something with no backdoor that nobody can get in, that nobody can hack, and then we'll be out of the hack business. I think we've now gotten to the point... Okay, we got to a new point, Chase. Where other industries have figured out the, the distance between privacy and security. In, fact, in other words, the telecom industry will allow anything yeah. because you've given them... Com- they will let you install those secret rooms in San Francisco right. and anywhere that they need to. You've indemnified them from any legal repercussions. Yeah, exactly. And the tech companies have not. And if they don't... So in other words, because the telecoms have come to this balance where they're completely taking it up the butt, the tech companies should too. The point... But here's the here's the fundamental difference, actually, now that I think about this. And this is a horrible argument on KT's part. The argument is because the telecoms came to an accommodation and allowed the government in, uh, so should the tech industry. Right. Well, the telecoms are inherently domestic. Mm-hmm. Their very business is domestic. And, and they when they operate in, in a global marketplace, they have entirely different rules they follow. Other industries have figured out the, the distance between privacy and security and found the middle ground. And the tech companies have not. And if they don't, Congress is just going to pass laws to make them do it. So the better solution would be to get the tech people in the same room as intelligence and law enforcement and say, okay, you guys, find a new technology to make Find a new technology. Create a new technology. Make this work. I mean, listening to those French investigators, they talked about the fact that as all of that was going down, 130 people slaughtered inside of that uh, concert hall. And they had video last night that I had not seen. You know, I love this part where she, she has to recount uh, the Paris attacks like we've forgotten because like they like they let us forget like they never stop mentioning it. It's devastating. I think it's so important for everybody to remember what happened mm-hmm. in Paris because Don't it forget. will happen again. It will happen again. Don't you think? Well, we all know. Um, and we I think sometimes too quickly forget. But one of those. Yeah, but you never let us forget. Threw one cell phone into a garbage can. So, okay, this is where their entire conversation begins to fall apart. So not only did they have the SMS message where they knew, let's go, but now she's about to reveal that they were able to recover the cell phone and get information off of it, which completely negates their entire argument and need to get access to these iPhones because they were able to access the phone and they did use metadata to track down these people. Yep. And that's how they're able to get the... the they were they, yeah. within hours they were able to get on scene within oh, yeah. hours because they checked the metadata and they're about to admit that so not only do they admit that Telegram which can be used for good like dissidents can also be used for bad and once the technology is out there it is out there forever but now they're also about to admit that we were able to read those phones in the first place and get the information we needed. Hall. That cell phone was the one that led them to Mahmoud Abaoud who was the orchestrator of this entire thing. Um, this. It's like technology has created a little bit of a Frankenstein here because they knew how to do it. 
They figured out a way to make it unhackable. And now you're preventing the good guys from getting into something that is essentially, you know, it's part of your, your personal belongings, right? Except for your very case. The iPhone went in the garbage can. They got the information they needed and they tracked them down. Her, right. her, their very argument is invalid. And anything else and get into your house, which people like to think are private. Um, you know, what, what are we going to do? The technology companies, from their argument, they say, well, if we want to create a banking system that's unhackable, we want to. It's Apple not Play, just Google Play, keeping pay. your personal privacy. There's some real reasons for unhackable devices. So your that, health information. So that bad guys can't in, get in, steal your credit card information. But as, as the inventor of Telegram said, you know, look, I never anticipated this. I thought my stuff would be used for dissonance. So even in her own explanation, she's admitting that once you create a technology, it could be unleashed on the world in ways you yeah. never expected. Right. Then in that same breath, she's arguing for creating a backdoor, which could be unleashed in ways you never expected. Indeed. I didn't realize bad guys were going to get their hands on it. But once you create it, it is a Frankenstein monster. Anybody can get their hands. That's why it really needs to be a solution that the tech companies work with the U.S. intelligence community. There's no genius techie in the basement of the CIA saying, I know how to do this. They've got to get together and, and find a solution that protects privacy, but at the same time keeps us safe, because this is only going to get worse. Yeah, as uh, ISIS yeah. can create their own software as well uh, to get around things. So, KT, thank you thank very you. much. So then they say ISIS could create their own software to get yeah. around things. Again, invalidating the very argument for needing access to the iPhone, because if ISIS could, cre- could, could, could create their own application, they would encrypt that separately, and there would be no need to get to it, because once you access the iPhone, you wouldn't be able to access the app. So at the very end, they conclude the segment by once again invalidating the very reason for needing access to the iPhone. It's brilliant. It's brilliant to watch their analysis. I love it. And they get paid so much money. A stunning revelation tonight about the potentially disastrous lack of cooperation between federal agencies in the wake of last year's San Bernardino terror massacre. Correspondent Peter Ducey is in Washington with an unbelievable story. As authorities raced to unearth evidence about who helped Saeed Farouk and Tashfin Malik execute an ISIS-inspired terrorist attack. So as we talk about uh, how if they could have access to the uh, work iPhone, they would be able to potentially see if there was a cyber pathogen. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Or a link to terrorism. It turns out... Um, there could have been something done entirely different that, whoa, hello there. Hi. Whoa, hey. whoa apparently my, uh, apparently my VLC is just going to close on me real quick. Time. I know. You know what? That VLC, dude, you never know what's happening. Uh, so what I love about this clip is it shows you, so what we, what, what is one of the things that stands out about the iPhone and the San Bernardino shooting, right? One of the things that stands out would be that they reset the iCloud account. Right. They, they meaning the government, did that. They, they bungled that. Yeah. They, they messed, messed that, that up. up. And now they don't get the backups, even though they would have put it on a trusted Wi-Fi network and that phone would have started backing up and they could have gotten everything off the iCloud backup that you get off a USB backup. That's correct. But instead, they screwed it up. Well, Chase, it turns out they also screwed up a few other things, too. Oh, really? A stunning revelation tonight about the potentially disastrous lack of cooperation between federal agencies in the wake of last year's San Bernardino terror massacre. Correspondent Peter Ducey is in Washington with an unbelievable story. The authorities raced to unearth evidence about who helped Saeed Farouk and Tashfin Malik execute an ISIS-inspired terrorist attack in San Bernardino. They quickly zeroed in on Farouk's friend, Enrique Marquez. And one day after the attack, the feds sent a heavily armed Homeland Security Investigations team to intercept Marquez at a scheduled meeting he and his wife, Maria Chernyank, a Russian immigrant. A what? 
Russian immigrant, his wife. A good friend of the San Bernardino shooters was a Russian immigrant. Interesting that that hasn't been discussed more. Huh. Wouldn't it be, I mean, wouldn't it be just great if Putin was was somehow tied into orchestrating some of these ISIS attacks to make the ISIS threat? Maybe he was using it as leverage to to, to, to move our hand in Syria. And he was using Telegram all at the same time. Of course. Had at a citizenship and immigration services office, but... I'm going to back it up just to hear that Russian part again, because I think that's kind of interesting. Let's hear that. Marquez, at a scheduled meeting, he and his wife, Maria Chernyank, a Russian immigrant, had at a citizenship and immigration services office, but that team was turned away, not even allowed into the building. What? A blunder blamed today on a U.S. CIS employee who wanted to check with his boss before letting the federal agents in. Oops. How can you explain that that the officer in charge of USCIS wouldn't allow HSI agents in there when they're saying, listen, you could have a potential terrorist here. We operate according to certain protocols. Do we need to look at our protocols to make sure that those misunderstandings don't occur? Should we let the investigators that were tracking a potential terrorist assistant in? Sure. Um, That that may well be something that we need to do, but there was never an actual intent to prevent them from doing what they needed to do. Marquez and his wife never showed up for the meeting, but this clash (laughs) between agencies that are supposed to be... Wait, 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 stop, 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 stop. So they never showed up. They no. were never there. So they're saying, oh, you turn the guy away from going in and our team. But Is that what he said? Let's back it up. Yeah, Let's back it up. But back they up, were back never up. there. Back it up, back it up. Back it up, back it up. But there was never an actual intent to prevent them from doing what they needed to do. Marquez and his wife never showed up for the meeting. <gasps> You're right. That's a good catch. I didn't catch that. So so they're they're talking about, oh, well, you didn't let them in because of rules and regulations and procedures and stuff. But it wouldn't have mattered because they never showed. I think that's exactly what they're saying, which I cannot believe I didn't catch that the first time. I wow. well, be something I that we again. need to do, but there was never an actual intent to prevent them from doing what they needed to do. Marquez and his wife never showed up for the meeting. <laughs> Sorry. That's really, you know why? Because they're already going back to see Putin. Yeah. But this clash between agencies that are supposed to be on the same team is troubling, especially as enough evidence eventually piled up so against Marquez to charge him with, quote, conspiring to provide material support to terrorists. Okay. The lead, the lead here is two government agencies obviously not working together like you know the NSA and the FBI do. But they, now they have now they have conspiring to provide material support to terrorists. So this guy linked with this guy who has a Russian wife. Yeah. Who, who goes back to Putin allegedly. For allegedly providing... Gunpowder for pipe bombs to Saeed Farouk and Tashfeen Malik. We do forget the number of law enforcement and other people involved in this incident, the confusion, the chaos that was going on in San Bernardino. I forgot it. Uh, We had immediate conversations when it came to my attention. And there was another problem the day after the attacks. USCIS wouldn't give federal agents the critical A file or alien file with details about Enrique's wife. All they would let the Homeland Security agents do is take a picture of a picture of her. The file was eventually turned over, but remember, this was all happening just hours after the public learned the primary suspects were a different husband and wife team. Brett. Peter, thank you. So, I'm actually a little okay with that on one caveat, and that is... Just because, and I understand there's an emergency, right? I understand that there was a terrorist attack, right? And I understand we want to get information as soon as possible. 
But that does not negate the fact that there needs to be a legal process, either a judge saying, yes, you can give that data or, you know, there's an official procedure in place. Just because there's an emergency doesn't say, all right, well, here, you can just have whatever you want. Right. It's a good point, Chase. I say what they really need to do in order to speed things up to get those approvals and whatnot, right. they ought to try using Telegram. <laughs> hey, all right. So uh, last week we talked about the treasure trove of ISIS documents and also – An orgy of evidence. Right. And also the new ISIS captive who uh, was going to give us all kinds of information. On well, that now, USB drive. Apparently he was picked up in Iraq in a region that's pretty much a well-established and well-controlled area by the U.S. military. We have breaking news this morning from Iraq, where reports say an ISIS fighter from Virginia has been captured. He reportedly surrendered near the city of Sinjar in northern Iraq. From Virginia. Wow. Charlie Daggett is in London with a video that shows the fighter giving up. Charlie, good morning. Good morning. CBS News in northern Iraq quoting two sources report Kurdish Peshmerga forces have captured the American ISIS fighter near the city of Sinjar this morning. Where are you from? United States. Kurdish TV shows documents that identify him as Muhammad Jamal Amin, including a Virginia state driver's license. It's believed he was born in Virginia to a Palestinian father and an Iraqi mother and entered Syria from Turkey two months ago, making his way to Mosul in Iraq. Now, it was on his way back to Turkey that he was captured. Uh, Peshmerga fighters reportedly uh, first thought he was a suicide bomber and fired warning shots at him. But he said he was an ISIS defector and wanted to turn himself in. He is currently being detained. It's worth noting there is a U.S. military presence in that region. Uh Charlie? Charlie, thanks. Something tells me we shouldn't believe anything this guy says. You know what I mean? (laughs) Yeah. Something tells me that. Uh, You know, we were just last week talking about what a mess Libya is becoming, talking about how the Toyota trucks are showing up. Yeah, white Toyota trucks are Driving around. Uh, And there wasn't a clip of it at the time as we were going on air, but as we were going on air last week, Obama was blaming somebody else, and uh, RT managed to uh, catch that. In a recent interview, Barack Obama blamed his European allies for not stopping Libya from becoming a, quote, mess following NATO's intervention and the overthrow of Colonel Gaddafi five years ago. He went as far as to call his allies free riders, saying some of them tried to take credit for the attacks. So, of course, they got the French president. À toute agression des avions du colonel Kadhafi. In 2011. Come on, fire. And really, actually, they are actually kind of claiming credit. Uh, uh, here's uh, Cameron right here. In the world, you would get rid of a dictator and you would choose freedom. Vive! So there they are, right? So they are actually kind of claiming credit. It's kind of actually an accurate analysis by RT. His disappointment and frustration with partners. It's very rare that a serving president of the U.S. would criticize, particularly his allies, of course, in this way. Uh, he's criticizing here uh, the U.K. and French leaders. And essentially what he's saying is that he blames them for Libya becoming what is called in uh, polite diplomatic circles in the U.S. a mess. Uh, so I wait. Yep. That's definitely from Savannah. Hey, Chase, what truck is that right there? That's a Toyota. Yeah. Uh, so I brought this bacon special. Uh, so we don't have a lot of extra bacon. From Savannah. There, but I did, just for this. Yeah. And uh, I have to tell you, Chase, my theory on this is the reason why Obama is throwing his allies under the bus is he's making room for Hill Dog because Hill Dog is particularly vulnerable for Libya. I think so. I think he's making room for – so that way Hill That's Dog – That's not bad. Yeah, right? Because cause obviously, I mean, according to your Red Book prediction, she's going to take it. But, mm-hmm. you know, it's one of those things where – Somebody could go after the, her in the debates once it's one-on-one. And 
And to be honest, for what he's doing, who no matter who wins, Republican or Democrat, he's trying to make the slate clean on that. Mm-hmm. That's a, not a bad idea right. in theory. Yeah, it's not bad. It's not bad at all. No, hey, I Chase, like it. before we get into all the terrorism stuff and do our worldwide coverage, yes. I just want to take a, men- a minute and mention uh, how the Unfiltered show is structured and funded. It's audience funded, and that changes the structure of the show. It makes us reevaluate every single episode what that 444 people would care about. And that's a big deal. It's not what the advertisers would care about. What's not, what's not going to give us the – what can we do to give us the most clicks? That's not what we think about. We think about what's going to be the most genuine coverage. How can we give you our most honest opinion without any influence and without any bias in the structure of the show? Now, that is just sort of why we love having an audience-funded show. But the audience has continued to step up over time. And so as, as a result, we are beginning now to implement phase two of the Unfiltered program with new secret plans being revealed uh, day by day. If you stay tuned for the overtime, some more information will be in the overtime. Uh, and I want to give just a moment as a thank you to our Unfiltered supporters. I will be reading the names of our new supporters in the overtime segment. Nice. But I thought at the, during the main show, maybe we could read a note from one of our patrons. Yes, absolutely. You know, we love you who support us at patreon.com slash unfilter. And we see all the messages that you write in. And I have a message here from one of our new supporters uh, and he goes by the name of oh, I'll say supporter four thirty seven. He doesn't mention if he that wanted is me. a long note. Yeah, and I I do want to give it. You're going to read the whole thing. I'm going to I'm going to go through Woo! most of it. But it's it, it, right. well, it looks long because it's compacted. Take on my, it, brother. My take it, brother. Brother. But he uh, writes and says, "Hello, Chris and Chase. I've begun recently listening to Unfilter on my compute commute to work, and I appreciate your insights and have considered becoming a supporter for some time. However, the thing that pushed me over the edge and made me actually sign up for Patreon and sign up." was Chase's statement at 18 minutes and 25 seconds on last week's episode. And he says, and and this is when I said, I said, and honestly, the only people I truly care about are those 436 people. He said, this hurt because I'm deeply invested in what Chase thinks of me, which, you know, hey, if if you feel that way, hey, more power to you, man. Okay, before I get into this, I realize that some people will call this semantics and I'll address that in the end. However, I would also like to take this opportunity to tell you something that really grinds my gears. When people equate public safety with national security, national security concerns are those things which could cripple or destroy the U.S. nation state. These Boston bombings or the San Bernardino shootings, I'm not even trying to minimize those events. Those are the first two extremely serious public safety events, and the people deserve to be protected against them. However, implying that those events, kind of events, could somehow damage the functioning of the U.S. government is simply ridiculous. He goes on to talk about those semantics. But it's one of those things where he says, hey, I understand if I can't talk Chris into it, but Chase, do you care about me now? Right? Of course we care about you. Please stop calling public safety events like San Bernardino shooting and the following iPhone encryption case national security. Well, we don't. I think the government says it more. Yeah, it's a good point, though, isn't it? Uh, and uh, but you thank know. you for becoming a supporter because he cares about what I think. I do like that. You know, I like and, I, that. and I care about what you guys think. And you know, we do see your messages, so please continue sending them in as you become patrons. Yeah, we really like that. And uh, you know, we care about what everybody thinks, but really, the show is able to focus on our core supporters. And when you become a supporter, you get access to the Unfiltered Sync, which is a bunch of different content yes. and source code to our show clips. Didn't even make it in more stuff. And also, very very soon, you'll learn about a brand new feature rolling out to our. Patrons. Now, let's move over, Chase, to the Middle East, where Uh, Russia 
is making some big news in Syria. We're back now with a Fox News alert, and Russia is withdrawing most of its forces from Syria. Did you hear about this? Yes, I have. Yeah. I, I, I honestly, when I heard it, I was like, wait, is it April 1st? <laughs> is it really Russian happening? President Vladimir Putin announcing the move on Monday, the timing coinciding with the resumption of Syria peace talks in Geneva. The U.N. Security Council viewing the announcement as, quote, a positive step. Benjamin Hall is live in London. So, Benjamin, this announcement really surprised a lot of people. How significant is this move, really, and how vast is it? I'm going to stop right there because we can we can provide that analysis. But uh, uh, I want to uh, play another clip to give us more information. More reaction now. Let's bring in Daniel Kaczynski, an MP for Britain's governing Conservative Party. Mr. Kaczynski, welcome to RT International. Um, so less than a day after that decision, which pretty much caught everybody on the hop. But in- you know, it's interesting. It even caught RT by surprise, Putin doing this. But it turns out it's right on the money in terms of timing. That time, what's the reaction been to Russia pulling out a swathe of its military operation in Syria? Well, I think our own government here in the United Kingdom and many commentators have to catch up with the new position that Russia is taking internationally. Russia has decided uh, to take this risk uh, in intervening in the conflict in Syria. Can we just take a second and uh, think about what Russia has done? So on this show, six months ago... uh, Actually, I believe to almost the day that Putin announced the withdrawal, we watched Putin enter the war in Syria and begin to go after uh, some of our guys that we were backing and go after legitimate rebel groups. But I think the bigger thing you witnessed, and I think you would agree with me, is the U.S. really, really, really stepped up its presence and its plan in Syria. Oh, yeah. We, we, I mean, the, and, and now we're, we're sitting at the table. We're having peace talks. Uh, it, it's Russia entering the battle significantly changed because before Russia got in there, remember we were going, we were doing these airstrikes for almost a year, yeah, with no results. And, actually, and it wasn't until after, sorry, one more thing, yeah. it wasn't until after Russia got into the fight that we ever even bothered to go after their oil supply lines. And actually, towards the end, we were actually exchanging information. I mean, don't forget that. You know, I, it wasn't like super detailed, but you know, obviously we had some you know special force units on the ground, and we were sh- sharing that information with Russia. So obviously, our guys wouldn't get hurt. There's some, there was some cooperation so happening there. Russia goes in, it's crazy, operates for six months, yeah, fundamentally re-empowers uh, Assad, changes the game on the ground, makes the U.S. come to the table, essentially forces the U.S. to reveal their entire hand, the fact that our, the entire thing's about yeah. regime change. Yeah. How many times do we get the politicians saying Assad must go? Russia forced us to reveal our hand to the entire world, and now, and now they're pulling out. And it would appear it has really paid off. And it is, uh, I agree with the commentator before, that Russian uh, activity in Syria has been a catalyst for bringing about a cessation to the appalling tragedy tragedy that has unfurled itself in that country over the last five years. The sooner my government starts to realize that we have to work constructively with Russia, another permanent member of the UN Security Council, to work collaboratively together to take on ISIS and other uh, trouble spots around the world, the better. 
How likely is that then, do you think? Because it was only a few months ago there were those positive moves, weren't there, that previous political rival, geopolitical rivals around the world were facing off with each other. Then they all seem to be on the same page in trying to tackle ISIS. Do you think now that there's uh, the peace talks seem to be making progress, there's optimism there, we've got Russia pulling out, do you think we'll see more cooperation along those lines? Well, I, I think that the perspective of Russia, um, certainly from the vast majority of my colleagues in Parliament and media commentators, has been almost Cold War-like. Um, and there are very few of us who have doggedly and persistently uh, tried to uh, create a, a debate about this issue. So I find this to be kind of a, a fascinating development, just yeah. in the sense that they got in, they exerted their power, and then they got out. Uh, and this is all in perspective because the 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 war in Syria is really, I think, going on now at like the five-year mark. Moscow's decision to pull out the bulk of its troops came on the eve of the conflict's anniversary. Tuesday, today, marks five years since the onset of a brutal and bloody conflict that's changed the course of modern history. From the start of Syria's protest movements, the resulting civil war became the epicenter of what turned out to be one of the greatest humanitarian crises in over half a century and challenged world leaders to confront an unprecedented wave of terrorism too. Yeah, and that's sort of an understatement. And uh, yeah, I, totally. I don't, I don't want to sound like I'm overstating uh, uh, Putin's move and I don't want to sound like I'm pro-Russian here, but... Uh, if they hadn't stepped in, I don't know. I feel like this thing would still just be getting stretched out, waiting. I feel like before Russia got involved, the U.S. strategy was to bleed him to death over time, just bleed him to death. Right. And if that meant destruction of the entire country, then that's what it would take to get him out of power. Right. And when Russia came in and started propping him back up and going after some of these groups backed by the CIA and blowing them the F up, the U.S. had to change tactics. Oh, yeah. Well, and don't forget the, the boosting of the military-industrial complex, too, right? Because the longer they stay there, the more money they can push into it, uh, the more Toyotas they can get on the ground. <laughs> I mean, oh, come on, man. Don't forget all that. Yeah, you got to get those Toyotas out there. Inventory to go. You probably heard the news working down there in the belly of the beast. Obama's got his pick. Yep. And today, after completing this exhaustive process, I've made my decision. He went to LinkedIn. I've selected a nominee who is widely recognized not only as one of America's sharpest legal minds, but someone who brings to his work a spirit of decency, modesty. You know, I, I find this to be fascinating what Obama's saying. I love being able to hear the, uh, the ambient noise of the Rose Garden and click, the click click. of the uh, cameras, uh, realizing the height difference of Obama's nominee and Obama himself. Actually, Obama's standing on a step. I can't help, no, I can't I help but notice that, though, I just I can't help but it's just distracting me, Chase. But it looks like Joe Biden is pooping right now. <laughs> he is not. Even-handedness and excellence. <laughs> These qualities and his long commitment oh, to public service have earned him the respect and admiration of leaders from both sides of the aisle. Ah, wait. Keyword there, both sides. Right. Will ultimately bring that same character to bear on the Supreme Court, an institution in which he is uniquely prepared to serve immediately. Today I am nominating Chief Judge Merrick Brian Garland to join the Supreme Court. Yeah. So I have a couple of thoughts on this. Yeah. Woo. Hey, there, there she is. There's your friend, My Diane Feinstein. Oh, there she is. Diane. Uh, so uh, there's a lot of people that think this is an odd pick. 
there's a lot of reasons they think that maybe Obama isn't serious about this pick. Oh, uh, and uh, I'll pl- I'll discuss those reasons okay. in further in much more detail in the overtime. Okay, so stay tuned for that if you're curious. But uh, it, the summary, the tease is. I believe this – the reason why this is Obama's pick is because he's expecting Hillary to win and she's going to finish the job. This clip here will give you some of the interesting information about him. But for more information, stay tuned for the overtime. We are waiting for the president to make it official, the nomination <laughs> of Judge Merrick Garland as his nominee for the U.S. Supreme Court. That's 28 minutes from now. While we wait, we want to take a closer look at Garland. Jonathan Turley, constitutional law professor, George Washington University. How are you? And welcome back here to America's News. And what oh, a day thanks. this is. Hi, Bill. First, your reaction, Merrick Garland. What do you think? Well, he's a remarkably restrained choice for a president that ran on changing the character of the Supreme Court. I want to pause right there. It's a remarkably restrained choice for a president who ran on changing the Supreme Court. Play that back. I think it's a really good meme if they can get it down a little bit. Play it again. Go. Well, he's a remarkably restrained choice for a president that ran on changing the character of the Supreme Court. The reason why I think that's a really important meme that you could pick up and run with is – there is a way that the right could approve this nomination now while Obama's still in office and still make him look like a dick. <laughs> right? Because right. he's just set it up right there. You could say, oh, well, pretty restrained. It's, it's another Obama failure to deliver. He promised so many things and he didn't deliver. Here's one more. He promised to change the Supreme Court yeah. and he picked somebody that's in the middle. However, already people are saying, dude, this guy is way too left. He does put pressure on the Republicans. Where the- now, this guy, this guy on Fox News says he's not so left. He's actually kind of centered. The president can say, look, I can't renominate Nino Scalia. Okay? He has passed. And I've given you someone who is as far as I can go uh, to the right. And indeed, uh, Judge Garland is very moderate. He's the type of judge that many liberal groups are actually not going to like. They're going to view this as as impressive as a move from 2% to 1% milk uh, for <laughs> a lot of these groups. Uh, but he is a true moderate. Uh, there is stuff in his background that conservatives are not going to like, particularly his vote on gun rights. And that's a big issue for conservatives in terms of the balance of the court. Judge uh, Justice Scalia was very strong on gun rights yeah. in the Heller decision. Yeah. Uh, I'm afraid Judge Garland is not likely to, to replicate that yeah, position. I agree. So we are going to have a move towards the center. But this is really as moderate uh, as, as this administration could possibly go. Now, the Republicans could spin that. You know, the Republicans could say, look, this is proof that we're not making this decision on purely ideological grounds. That's true. We're, we're going to hold to the position that we're close to a new president and that president should make this decision. You know, I, we don't need to speculate about that. We can watch it and see what actually happens. Uh, but I just find that to be – it was an interesting pick and it yeah. was just about what people are going to say. Somebody moderate that would be a pretty reasonable pick. Also, uh, his age is a factor. Uh, but it's not what you, it's not because he's uh, in his uh, mid sixties. It's because he's too uh, he's too young. You know, when you think of a Supreme Court justice, you think they're very old. You think of somebody in their seventies, right? But John Roberts, look how young he is. So uh, that go, we go into detail in the overtime. All right, I want to yeah. talk about the twenty sixteen elections. Uh, super, 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 super. I think it's three supers now. Yeah, yeah it's uh, a yeah, super it, cubed Tuesday. Or is it super Tuesday, Tuesday, Tuesday? 
Well, it's like a monster truck rally. You got to say it like Tuesday, Tuesday, Tuesday. The latest primary results have the front runners celebrating and one challenger heading home. Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton recorded a string of important wins. Marco Rubio ended his campaign after a big loss in his home state. Trump won in Florida, Illinois, and North Carolina. He leads Ted Cruz in Missouri, which is still too close to call. John Kasich is still in the mix after winning his home state of Ohio. Trump now has more than half of the delegates that he needs to win the Republican nomination. And last night, he widened his lead over Ted Cruz. In the Democratic race, Hillary Clinton beat Bernie Sanders in four of Tuesday's five primaries. He also leads in Missouri by less than 2,000 votes. Clinton widened her lead in the delegate count which includes an overwhelming share of superdelegates. She has almost two-thirds of the number she needs to clinch the nomination. Mm. And Cortes is following the Democrats. John Dickerson is here to analyze the outcome. But our coverage begins with Major Garrett in As Palm always. Beach, Florida, Major. where Trump celebrated last night's victories. Major, good morning. So, uh, you know, part of the Unfiltered show isn't just the news. It's also analysis of the news coverage. And analysis of the shot. Yeah, that- why? Yeah, I know, right? I know. Uh, it oh. is bad, right? Major Garrett, uh, I mean, if we were really going to go there, he's got to work on that hair. But uh, so far, we have gotten, you got, I just want to point out, yeah. in the introduction of this clip, you got all of the results of Super, Super, Super Tuesday, right. or I'm sorry, Super Tuesday, 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 and you got Rubio dropping out, and you got Hill Dog and Bernie's delegate counts all in that quick summary. This is one of the... I am not joking. I'm not joking. Okay. This is one of the 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 best produced packages we have ever played on this show. The, in wow. the next couple of minutes, they are going to summarize all of the election stuff you basically need to know from the since the last episode of the Unfiltered Show. In this, like, I'm not kidding, Chase. We had three separate clips that broke all of this stuff down. That this one clip replaced a couple of hours ago before we went on the air. Wow. Yeah. Donald Trump needs to win half of the remaining delegates to clinch the nomination. If not, Trump and his Republican rivals, establishment and otherwise, will have to fight it out at a contested convention. We're going to go forward and we're going to win, but more importantly, we're going to win for the country. Donald Trump celebrated big swing state victories Tuesday night and paused to ponder the question that's vexed his opponents. Why attacks against him don't appear to stick. My numbers went up. I don't understand it. Nobody understands. (laughs) My numbers went up. You know, uh, so I've been uh, doing a lot of driving recently and I've been listening to uh, NPR and then I've been streaming Fox News and CNN on my phone. And I've been listening to the different coverage of Trump. And it's funny how bad NPR is blowing it. They have analysis after analysis come on and they, they, they simply – their bias about Trump stands out. And they, they, they fundamentally cannot connect with the fact that the American people are tired of political bullshit. Right. They're tired of all of the failed yeah. policies and promises of, of hope and change. And so Bernie and Trump, when you look at what the people are voting for, is being represented in these two candidates. And listening to the analysis of why Trump is winning, it's such a joke out there. And I can see why I can see why so many misconceptions are happening because people can't wrap their brain around the fact that people are so disenfranchised with the system and they're the status so, quo, yeah. That they are willing to essentially yeah. drop a nuke in the middle of the system and see what happens. And the, and the people the uh, the 
the NPR is the worst. I I, I listened on the drive into the studio uh, a different analysis of Trump, and it was just. It was really it was rough. They really missed the mark, and they're really trying. They're genuine in their effort, but they they can't understand it. In Florida, handily, typically, that cements a Republican's hold on the nomination. You know, since I started yapping my mouth, I'll back it up just a little bit. I don't understand it. Nobody understands it. My numbers went up. Trump won Florida handily. Typically, that cements a Republican's hold on the nomination. Not this year. I want to congratulate Donald Trump on his victory, a big victory in Florida. But it did knock Florida Senator Marco Rubio out of the race. The politics of resentment against other people will not just leave us a fractured party. They're going to leave us a fractured nation. Rubio won more than half of Florida's Hispanic vote, but lost to Trump by nearly 20 points. But after tonight, it is clear that while we are on the right side this year... We will not be on the winning side. John Kasich, long ignored on the campaign trail, secured a crucial win at home in Ohio. I labored in obscurity for so long, people counting me out. Kasich's first win spoiled Trump's bid for a perfect night. Why do you think Kasich is still in the race? Oh, I, I have already told you this. He is there. So uh, Will you pull up, can you do like a go do a yeah, Google yeah, search on the on the superdelegates? Because yeah. right now it's down to we're remaining on the Republican side. It's Trump. Cruz and Kasich, Rubio, who was doing better than Kasich, pulled out. Right, and if it, and and I, and I think a lot of us would agree that Jeb Bush had a better shot than Kasich has at this point. Right. Uh, so when you when you look when you're looking there at the delegates, Chase, what are you seeing there? What, what's the delegate count? Uh, right now, Trump way in the lead, six seventy three. Cruz with four eleven, and Kasich with one forty three. Okay, so why do you think Kasich is still in the race at this point? Well, like I said. He's in it because his only chance, his only chance is to make it to the convention contested. And he's already said, hey, I'm going to make it all the way to Cleveland. I'm going all the way to Cleveland. And obviously, I think he's being told in his little ear, maybe it's a little conspiracy baking, maybe it's not. But as long as he stays in the race and he's able to pull percentage points again uh, away from Trump and from Cruz. That's it right there. He's going to get the delegates enough. They've already done the math, by the way, based on the previous results of Cruz and Kasich. Trump cannot get the majority. He cannot get the 1237 that he needs. They've already done the math with the remaining states and the way basically Trump would have to get 60 percent, I believe, of the vote in the remaining states to get the the numbers because all the remaining contests, I believe, are proportional. I think actually that's what they talk about next in this clip. The campaign until the party's convention in Cleveland. We've got one more trip around Ohio this coming fall where we will beat Hillary Clinton and I will become the president of the United States. Ted Cruz finished second in Illinois and North Carolina with Missouri too close to call. Enough, he said, to claim incremental progress. Tonight we continue to gain delegates and continue our march to 1237. And Cruz zeroed in on jilted Rubio's supporters. To those who supported Marco who worked so hard we welcome you with open arms. Trump, comparatively mellow, steered clear of the insults that have come to define his campaign, sounding more and more like his party's leader. I spoke with Mitch McConnell today. We had a great conversation. The fact is we have to bring our party together. That lower third, by the way. Well, hi there. Hi. Happens to be blocking the exact spot where the number is where you where you would uh, uh, text uh, a donation to Trump. So that lower third right there, like, look, if you back, look, if it backs up, look at the wider camera shot. Wait for it. Wait for it. 
You see right there? You see where it says text Trump too, and yeah. it has the number? Yeah. When they come in close, the lower third perfectly covers up that number to donate to Trump. <laughs> like his party's leader. I spoke see with that? Mitch McConnell Isn't today. Perfect? We had a great conversation. The fact is we have to bring... So he's talking to Mitch McConnell. ...our party together. Moments ago, Trump said he would not attend Monday's Republican presidential debate scheduled to occur in Salt Lake City. He will stay in Washington to deliver a speech to the American-Israel Public Affairs Committee. Trump said he had just learned about the debate, but he took four questions on the subject last week here in Palm Beach. All right, Major, thank you so much. It's interesting. He, By him pulling out of the debate, Kasich pulled out of the debate, and then Cruz has nobody left to debate, so there's no debate. And the debates are getting trumped. Uh-oh. By the Israel lobby, which I think is interesting. Yeah. So uh, this next clip does a fantastic job of explaining what the a contested convention is. So uh, you might have heard contested convention, contested convention. I, some congestion? No, it's not congestion. How it's speaker contested. Paul Ryan is reacting to headlines this morning. Did you hear about this, Paul Ryan? Run for president, Paul. Oh, well, actually, I heard about Boner. You know, did you hear about Boner? Mm-hmm. Yeah, about him saying, hey, you know. I'm going to throw my uh, weight behind Paul Ryan if it's a contested convention, baby. Yeah. And you know you know who I think would have been the obvious go-to uh, nominee? Mm. If it wasn't for that email scandal, who do you think would have been the perfect uh, nominee if it wasn't oh, for that Petraeus? email? Oh, Petraeus? Yeah, buddy, you got it. David Petraeus would have been the perfect Republican candidate if it wasn't for that little pesky email controversy in Paula Broadwell. Paul Ryan is reacting to headlines this morning that he may be open to a presidential run. Ryan said he is happy where he is and ruled out the possibility. This follows suggestions GOP leaders might turn to the 2012 vice presidential nominee at a deadlock convention. Donald Trump's loss in Ohio makes it unclear if he can. I got to be honest. uh, I would really like a Paul Ryan run. I would love anybody to run against Hillary other than whoever is going to run against Hillary right now. I don't want it to be Cruz and I don't want it to be uh, Trump. And by the way, I think I should have mentioned this. I think the reason Trump pulled out of the debate isn't maybe. Well, he wants to look good at the Israel lobby, but it's also because he doesn't want to debate Trump one on one. That debate, Kasich would be left out like he always is, and it would be a Trump versus Cruz debate, and Cruz would kick Trump's ass. 137 delegates needed to clinch the nomination. All right, so there's your numbers right there. So uh, you you can see right very clearly that uh, Kasich with 138 has absolutely no chance at all other than he's just taking delegates away from Cruz. I mean from Trump, obviously. Yeah, obviously. And and actually Cruz, And Cruz, yeah, absolutely. Makes it unclear if he can secure the 1,237 delegates needed to clinch the nomination. CBS News delegate counts show Trump needs to win 618 of the 1,149 remaining delegates. Juliana Goldman shows what could happen if he falls short. Juliana, good morning. Good morning. Well, a contested convention for the Republicans means delegates will vote and re-vote until a nominee gets the majority. The so that's basically it. Vote and then re-vote. The voting process is complicated. It can involve multiple ballots. And from the start, the rules are thrown out the window. We are going to go all the way to Cleveland and secure the Republican nomination. John Kasich's big win in Ohio denied Donald Trump a full victory lap. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. It denied Donald Trump the full win by There's That's not an accident. We're going to go forward and we're going to win. The race for delegates continues. 
as Republicans face the increasing odds of a contested convention. It's not necessarily a bad thing. RNC Chairman Reince Priebus says Reince. it may be too early to tell. Candidates believe uh, that they have a pathway to getting to the majority Trump. of delegates before Cleveland, but we'll be ready for anything. But sources tell CBS News that officials in the RNC, donors as well as candidates John Kasich and Ted Cruz... And help! is on the, way. on the way, are already planning for the possibility. You know, it's interesting how much they hate Cruz. The establishment doesn't want it to be Cruz. He's such the obvious choice. But the problem is he's slimy and he... I, I feel like the American people, a lot of them realize that he's patronizing. He's got the, a face you want to punch. Bush was the guy you want to have a beer with. Right. Cruz, <laughs> he's got a face you want to punch. <laughs> Can somebody clip that, please? <laughs> Somebody, producer Matt, will you clip Chase saying that? I, I, I got to have an ISO of that. <laughs> he really does, though. And that chin, dude, I just want to. And that nose, man. Oh, I'm sorry. And it's always shiny. He's always shiny. Anyways. Uh, uh, I have never liked him. I'm sorry. I just, you know, I, talk, I talk about it before. His is cadence, you know. It's, yeah, and sorry. I think a lot of people know that instead of like being, I, he doesn't come across as a genuine Christian. He comes across as manipulating the Christian base to do what he needs and in the way he speaks. he talks down to you in you a know, way. His dad's a pastor. Did you know yeah, that? I know. Yeah, you yeah, told okay, me this. Yeah, yeah. Okay. As well as candidates John Kasich and Ted Cruz. And help is on the way. Help <laughs> is on the way. Help. Is, I also want an ISO of that. Heavy, uh, heavy producer breath. Matt, could you ISO that too? News that help. officials in the RNC, donors as well as candidates John Forward. Face oh, we're for going. we're going to oh. go forward. And we're, and sorry, sorry, BLC. odds of a contested convention. It's not necessarily a Jeez, hold on. I'm sorry about this. Uh, VLC has totally crapped the bed. Uh, we will hold on, Chase. Hold on. We are gonna we are gonna abort the process, as they say. And oh gosh, I can't. Holy smoke! Look at this, Chase. Look at this. Do you, can how do you how would you describe what it is doing at the moment? Uh, it is locked. Oh, it in. stopped. It stopped. It but was locked would, in on your ma- yeah, uh, mouse. Yeah, yeah. It was totally locked into my mouse. All right. I think I have us back to where we need to be, but we will see. Anything. But sources tell CBS News that officials in the RNC, donors as well as candidates John Kasich and Ted Cruz, and help, help is on the way. Oh. Are already planning for the possibility. Today, the Democratic Party is the party of the American people. Traditionally, political parties have a clear nominee heading into their conventions. That's right. Let me make one further pledge. I accept your nomination. I proudly accept your nomination for presidency of the United States. It's a minor civil case. Donald, learn not to interrupt. But this campaign has defied the rules. At a contested convention, delegates submit ballots until someone wins a majority. There can be multiple rounds of voting. In the first round, most delegates are bound by the results of their state's primaries and caucuses. Once you get into additional rounds, delegates no longer have those obligations mm. and could even throw their support behind someone who never officially entered the race. Which sounds for a perfect opportunity for corruption. Mm-hmm. Campaigns will be working behind the scenes to shift delegate support. Sometimes that means candidates are jockeying, you know, for the months leading into the convention. The last time the Republican Party held a convention without a clear nominee was 1976. Incumbent President Gerald Ford beat out former California Governor Ronald Reagan on the first ballot to secure the nomination. Truly in historic territory. Political historian Terry Madonna says an open convention brings with it the risk of creating a deeper divide within the Republican Party. It's hard for me to believe that Trump supporters are just going to allow 
some kind of deal-making to go on between the other candidates. Some Republicans tell us the RNC has to be planning for the real possibility that a contested convention could lead to protests, which, as we've seen, have turned violent. An estimated 50,000 people will travel to Cleveland for the GOP convention in July. The city's requesting thousands of pieces of riot gear for the four-day event. It's interesting how much coverage this week that particular element of the story has gotten. Right. And uh, if I could make a red book, which, wow, we have not done in a while. Uh, I will make a red book prediction right here, Mr. Chase. Yes, Chris. You're I, uh, see, I don't the pen. I'll blame Angela, but I have a backup pen. Backup pen. Uh, I would. I will predict in three years from now. This is a good thing for the Republican Party. Whatever happens, the Republican Party is going to be better off for it. So this is a really long term red book prediction. It is. Yeah, it is. So so you're going to say three years from now? Yeah, I am. Okay, I am. But uh, we'll follow up on it. Okay. Uh, so what do you think about this? What are your thoughts? Do you think that uh, I've been thinking about this for a while? Yeah, actually. Yeah. Um, oh, good. I'm really curious to know if and you think it's going to be Trump or or what. So if it get, makes it all the way to the convention as a contested, and I and I think honestly that's what the uh, the elders of the RNC want that to be. I really see – and if Trump doesn't come out as the nominee after all those lines of voting, you're going to see a splinter. You're going to see a, frac, a, a faction and, and split out. And I think you might see a true creation of a third party or you'll see Trump running as an independent and screwing the whole thing up. But he's got that pledge. Whatever. you know, he, He's going to say, well, hey – I broke that pre- pledge because they broke on me. I had the majority number. I, I was in the lead going into the convention. You know, you've seen how he is before. So he's uh, been totally unorthodox, right? Before so, we talk about the Republicans yeah. I mean, anymore, I want to just take a moment and talk about the Democrats. Yeah. And one of the things that I find interesting is, you know, we talk. We've talked in the past about the establishment establishment picking the candidate. Yeah. Uh, and I think if we're all with the super delegates, if we're all intellectually honest with ourselves, right. I think we would all admit that we've known that since Hillary Clinton took the state, uh, the Secretary of State job, we knew, we all knew she was planning to run in 2016. Oh yeah, the moment she didn't win the, 20, the 2008 election, every everybody in the political establishment knew that in 2016 Clinton was going to run, and it turns out the Democratic Party, the establishment just simply didn't invite anyone to run. Now, traditionally, they invite the candidates. That's why they are the, uh, they are the chosen one, Obama and Clinton, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. They are chosen by the party. Hillary chose herself, and the Democratic Party neglected to invite anyone else to run, and Bernie chose to run. Yeah. I think the same thing happened on the Republican side. Nobody wanted to go up. Everybody has known since 2008 that Hillary Clinton was going to run. Nobody wanted to go up against the Clinton machine. And so a dumbass like Ted Cruz – and I'm saying dumbass from the context of – And a very inexperienced Rubio. Well, I'm saying a dumbass, by the way, is how the establishment looks at it. These – or I guess maybe I should say instead of dumbass, these punk freshman senators, <laughs> they came in yeah, on the yeah. on the Tea Party wave. And then there's this kooky businessman with the crazy hair who decided to self-fund and run because the, the memo never went out. The memo didn't go to your Paul Ryans, right? They didn't go to the, out to the David Petraeus saying, go ahead and run. They didn't go out because they didn't want to go up against Hillary Clinton. Now, why? I'm not sure. 
And I think I think where what that left us with is this shithole that we are now in with Trump leading Sanders misleading the millennials and the public to think he has any chance of winning. I still I still honestly disenfranchising an entire another generation. He has a shot. Oh, God, please. And, you know, here's why I think I wish he did. No, no. The states that have been pushing for Hillary, they've already voted. Are you saying the superdelegates are going to swing? I mean, well, just don't, don't, just don't, just don't mince words. Do you think, do you think the superdelegates are going to swing? Well, I don't know. I mean, I just, if, she if, has if, now, she has now, the pro- she has doubled Obama's lead the, it, it, more than at any point he ever had in 2008. Right. But she's still missing the key thing. If you look at the normal, the delegate numbers right now, take the superdelegates out of it. He's not a wave by much. Right, it's eleven thirty nine to eight twenty five. Okay, the super delegate count—that's the the party leaders, right? That's the insiders. That's the money, right? The next states that are coming up for Sanders are more his end. There, you know, a lot of the states that Hillary has won, we already pretty much knew that she was going to win, right? So at this point, it could swing the other way. The second half of the show, right? The second half, like the ball game isn't over, right? It's kind of like I equate it to a football game, and I know you're not a big sports ball fan, Chris, but it's like saying, hey, you know what? The the home team, they're up by three touchdowns. They're going into the half. They're feeling pretty good, right? They got a good game plan. They got, you know, they're got they up by three scores. Yeah. They should win this game. She should win it, right? But the thing is, the game's not over. You know, you know when you watch a movie uh, or you read a book, and when you get to the end of it, and then you read it again or you watch it again, you realize that there are things that were forecasting or uh, what's the word in, a, in storytelling when you sort of foreshadow uh, foreshadow what's going to happen. Yeah. Uh, I would argue that when you look back at the uh, clips and coverage uh, that we have done on the Unfilter show, one of the trends that would stand out, say you're in uh, the second year of Hillary's term. You like how I did that? Uh-huh, yeah, uh-huh. Yeah. And you look back. You're two. Uh, yeah. So you're you're just your average your average Joe Joe or uh, Jane, and you're listening back at the unfiltered catalog, and you get around the 180 mark to listen to how Hillary came into power. One of the things that will stand out that we f- have failed to comment on is the fact that none of the Republican candidates ever spend a moment of breath refuting, discussing, or naming Bernie Sanders ever. Well, until this last weekend, though, barely. Yeah. Well, when uh, for the, the first the, time, you're right. Yeah. Yes. The, the whole the, the whole uh, protesting situation that happened. But if you look at it as a comparison, yeah. they, I believe, have been forecasting all along. They know what their competition is going to be. Right. It's Hillary Clinton. Right. They've known that. All, they're not talking very. They are now beginning, but not just barely chase in comparison. Just barely. It's almost. It's statistically, it's almost zero percent. Right. They've. They are forecasting to us. They are. What was it? What the uh, the story term? Oh, the foreshadowing. Foreshad. They are yeah. foreshadowing. Yeah. Really, I, I I've always felt that way. When you look back at it, it will be. I think it'll be retrospectively See, speaking. I flip it on another way to give you a counterpoint. I didn't mean to do that, but that that works for me. The counterpoint is, yeah, they're foreshadowing Hillary because they really don't want to go against Sanders. <laughs> <laughs> I mean. I, I don't want to give them any viability, right? I don't want to come right? across as like some Sanders hater because I wish it was true. I think historically we'll look back and it will be obvious that he never had a shot. And I wish that was true. Yeah. I wish it wasn't the case. I really, really honestly is do it because, because – So what is it because? Is it because of the foreshadowing? Is it because of the superdelegates or is it a combination of both? 
uh, I think that's the tip of the iceberg. It, n- not to mention there are forces at work we don't even begin to understand. Right. And let's keep in mind, like I just said, we've all known since 2008 she was going to run. Right, totally. So the Clinton Global Initiative has been in place, raising funds, preparing for this. She's been doing speaking. She's She has been campaigning unofficially since 2008. Right, forever. Right. So I just – so the I wild card the, here is what so what happens with uh, the FBI investigation on her emails? If that ball drops on her yeah. after she gets the nomination according to you, <laughs> what do you do then? Well, the Justice Department is going to be reporting to the President of the United States, and I think Madam President will have a few things to say about that. <laughs> uh, and I want to say I I would love I would love for you know what my I, my just to make it clear so yeah. that way nobody can construe I would love it to be a Cruz versus Sanders debate. That would be what that would be, I think, very interesting because I think Cruz has some interesting ideas and I think Sanders has great ideas and interesting ideas. And I don't like Cruz as a president, but in terms of being a principled person who has remained consistent, you could give him that. Uh, I think he's slimy and I think he's a liar and I think he's a first grade politician and I compliment him for how quickly he's moved up the chain. Right. Uh. But See, I, I think if taking the superdelegate count out of it, if Bernie can, why the, why can no 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 hold on hear me out no, that, no 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 hear me out here let me finish my thought let me finish my thought if he can come close to the uh, to the normal pledge delegate count uh, and 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 taking the superdelegates out in the moment. It will it will force a new conversation, I think, and that's going to be the interesting conversation to see if he can make up that that small ground, not the superdelegate ground, because obviously they're they're already in Hillary's back pocket. We already know that. I'm just I'm just I just want to see what it's, it gets spinned on the other side of things. You know what I mean? I'm I'm really interested on that mm. aspect, man. Because there's know- a, there is a, a true oper- a possibility of that happening where he could come very close to her pledged count. And the superdelegates will be all on this side, and, and then you're going to have an interesting conversation to be heard. Here's the only reason why I could give some credence to that is the superdelegate issue has gotten so much attention recently. Yeah, yeah. Everybody's aware of it now. You and know. so now they almost have to do something publicly to, because everybody's cognizant of the fact. Yeah. So there is something there, Chase. Right. Uh, and you know what? I also suspect we will look back at March 16th, 2016, episode 180, and go, man, that was just the beginning of the 2016 race. Oh, yeah, just the tip. All right, Chase. Speaking of Hillary and her record and things you could actually go after her in the election, let's talk about Libya. I said, I said, hey, Chase. Yes, yes, Chris. Do, I actually don't know. May, maybe or maybe. Have you been watching the amount of freaking debates in town halls, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera? Oh, yeah. Has I've been... watched a lot, but <clears throat> not all, but a lot. Well, uh, oh, oh, here we go. Here, Hill Dog at a town hall uh, answered the question about Libya. Hmm. I don't. I don't know why she's not. I, I can't hear. Do you hear her? Do I, you, I don't hear Hillary. I don't hear but Hill then, Dog. But then again, I can see Hill Dog. I see the Hill. <laughs> she looks tired, doesn't she? Well, you know, she she still hasn't fully recovered from that uh, concussion. Wow, dude. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Although I think you're right. Actually, I just think she's sick. I just think she's been sick. Yeah. All right, let's uh, let's see here if this maybe sounds a little bit better. Anyways, here's the Hill Dog at a town at a town hall. Here we go. Go Hill. Libya was a different uh, kind of uh, calculation, yeah. and we didn't lose a single person. Whoa, whoa, we whoa, what? Wait, a- whoa, 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 <laughs> wait. I don't, I think she means in the overturning of Gaddafi. 
not in that whole uh, embassy attack and CIA. No, no, no. Wait. I know what it is. We didn't lose a single person. We lost four people. (laughs) Yeah. I don't think she's talking, hey, Chase, uh, what you're doing there, and I think the campaign would argue, uh, Chase, what you're doing there is uh, arguing shemantex. That's shemantex. Is uh, is that, huh? Is it shemantex? We didn't lose a single person. In Libya. Thanks to that YouTube video. Yeah. You know, problem in supporting our our European and Arab allies in working with NATO, and now we've got to support the What do you think? What do you think? That was Hillary Clinton defending her push for regime change in Libya during a town hall. Her claim that the U.S. didn't lose anyone fails, of course, to mention the 2012 attack on the U.S. consulate in Benghazi, where four Americans were killed. As Chase just points out. <clears throat> oh, hell dog. Last uh, week in the overtime, we wow. talked about her kind of restructuring the timeline, too, of the whole thing. Yeah. She's got it. That's the thing. That's the thing. That's where they and, get and if, and, if, and if Trump wins and gets the nomination, and she, if she gets the nomination, Trump, you know how what Trump's going to do. He's just going to tear into it like a pit bull in, yeah. the, in the red meat. Yeah. Uh, Chase, now, I, as a father, have struggled not with the elections, right. not with the Supreme Court nomination, not even with Putin pulling out of Syria. No, Chase, I struggle. What do you struggle with? With breakfast cereal. You know, it's tough. There's a lot of sugar yeah. in, in breakfast yeah. uh, breakfast cereal. Yeah, you want to make sure you're not feeding your yeah, kids the yeah, bad stuff. Yeah, yeah, not just sugar, Chase, yeah. but also piss. An investigation what? is underway at Kellogg's after a video surfaced showing a man urinating on a cereal plant assembly line. Oh. This is the video, and it's pretty disturbing. An Whoa! internal investigation found the video was recorded in 2014 at a Kellogg's plant in Memphis. It potentially affected Rice Krispies treats, Rice Krispies treat cereal, and puffed rice cakes. At this point, the products would be past their expiration dates. So the video showed up on a website called World Star Hip Hop. It ah. may have been shot during a labor dispute at the plant. Kellogg says it's outraged and caused the situation completely unacceptable. Oh my gosh, it's Anderson! They, uh, they've tried to analyze the photo. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that something? Wow. And you know, the guy's dong, you know, he's just right there in the shot. Of course, the news media tries to blur it out. Well. Hey, you want to blur out something else? Don't blur out this website, unfiltered.reddit.com. That's right. Go there, participate in the content that we cover on this show. Give your insights to the stories that are developing around the world. If there was something we didn't talk about, go submit it. If there was something you wish we would have said about a story, go comment, unfiltered.reddit.com. But really, patreon.com slash unfiltered, where you go to be the lifeblood of this very show. You can also join us live. Go to jblive.tv to watch this show live. When you might ask, oh, my friends, go to jupiterbroadcasting.com Ow! slash calendar. The robots are standing by to convert it to your local time zone, and I recommend that because time zones freaking suck. Yes, especially now with DST. Oh, man. Because it was, it just, it's, it's all over the map. It, dude, no joke. Tech Talk Today. Yeah. Uh, it screwed Tech Talk Today up so bad. As I was going on air, I went from one person in the mumble room to like 15 people in the mumble room because they all scrambled as they realized the Tech Talk show was live. Chase, if yes. I wanted to check out what you're doing online, where would I go? Well, you used to go to chaseinyourface.tk, but you can't go there anymore. You can go to twitter.com slash newness. Where you can follow me, as you will, as I tweet things All in right. 140 characters or less. Now, Chris. Sir. People can follow you and the network on true, Twitter. True. Where can they follow you? Oh, that's easy, man. At Chris LAS stands for Linux Action Show. That's where I got started. That's your family. That's it. Right there they are. <laughs> man, I'll tell you what, too. They keep me on my toes. At Chris LAS, I tweet stuff. Now, now, obviously, people may want to know when we're doing the show live, when there's a new episode posted. Maybe you're having a special interview on another show like Last. 
Where can they follow you there? Man, at Jupiter Signals, where I go, oh, check it out at Jupiter Signal Chase. Anywhere else you want to direct people on the internet for yourself. So. You know, head over to GeekGamer.tv. Oh, Show really? some love there. GeekGamer.tv, huh? GeekGamer.tv, thank go you. Go watch some Chase in your face content. You want to have more Chase? That's where you get it. Making a statement, as it were. Boom. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Thank you, everybody, for supporting us at Patreon. Make sure you join us right back here next, next week. week. I won't, I won't, uh, hold, hold, hold on, guys, come on, I, the, uh, the, the, there's just, uh, I, I... <sighs> we discontinue all activities that may be copyrightable because it is time for Overtime! Unfilter 180 Overtime starts right now on your Unfilter Show. Oh my gosh, it's Anderson Cooper! Oh, that feels good. Hello, everybody, and yes... We have successfully launched another Overtime. Bring up the music. Bring Mr. Jenkins in. It's time for the show to start. We got a lot to cover. Mr. Chase is en route to the show right now. If you're listening to this on the download, you've just time traveled into the overtime section of the show where we prepare for Mr. Chase and we go through some of the extra clips to give you additional context to stuff that we just covered in the show. So starting up, we have a little cyber update, some stuff that didn't make it into the main show for cyber. There's only one candidate out there. You just ask him. There's only one candidate out there. That is fully prepared to handle our cyber future. It, it, of course, it was Ben Carson, but now he's out. But there's another candidate, only one other candidate now, that is ready to handle our cybersecurity future. Well, yeah, you guessed it. It's John Kasich, of course. Welcome back. Some are calling it the greatest threat to our national security. Nearly 300 million records were leaked and over $1 billion stolen in cyber attacks last year. And our next guest says it's a bigger problem than we know, but only one presidential candidate has even addressed it. When it comes to the issue of cyber attacks, we, we're going to have to beef up the cyber command. Oh. And they need to understand that if you attack us, we will defend ourselves, everything, including our grid. But if you do it, we have the capability to take out your systems. The That's president right. oh, has oh, not yes. given the Cyber Command that authority. Oh. I will. Yeah. Well, Cyber Guy Kurt says that the statement by the Ohio governor is incredibly important. He joins us now to talk about it. Good morning. I got to tell you, I'm, I, I why tell you. is Governor Kasich the only candidate on the debate stage making any sense at all when it comes to cybersecurity. He's the it's like it's the only issue they're not talking about, cyber. It's the only issue they're not talking about because they're talking about drones. They're talking about intervention in other countries like Libya. They're, of course, they're talking about how we've been paying and funding the civil war, quote unquote, in Syria, right? So <laughs> you could talk about that. That's also, by the way, not getting caught, not getting talked about. It turns out there's a lot of things in these cycles that don't get talked about. But this guy, this guy, he's all fired up because this one pet topic of his this is the one not getting talked about. Any candidate on the debate stage making any sense at all when it comes to cybersecurity. He's the only one saying anything about it. I think it. The, one of the issues has been, though, and I think you would agree with this, is that 
we're not going to really face it until something tragic happens. And we now know reports about things like up at Indian Point, the nuclear facility north of New York City. Imagine if that were to get hit. But now we have this report about the dam in up in state New York that could have been sure, hit by week. Iranian hackers. Yeah, this week, State Department pointing fingers at the Iranian ha hackers. This isn't the first one. This stuff goes on constantly. And I think corporate America also is obviously under attack. We're talking about Oh, 160 attacks per week wow. per, for uh, the top uh, corporate America, com uh, top companies in America. And that's what and we know about, right? I mean, what about these corporations exactly. who so, are going, okay, I think we may have been hacked, but I don't want to tell law enforcement, I don't want to tell the FBI about it. Then all of our customers are going to think that we aren't careful with their information. Bingo. So it goes underreported so frequently, it ends up in the miscellaneous column of losses and financial records. The thing is, in this country, uh, attacks are happening not just at corporate America and not just at potentially the power grids and other locations. This now has the ability to cause a trigger, an economic trigger, that could be devastating this country. And what I heard Governor Kasich say is the only sensible message on the stage from any candidate. And he's saying, look, we've got some resources. We keep them secret. But if I'm the president, I'm going to bring that out and I'm going to empower that army and start pointing them back at the mm. culprits in China or in other aspects <laughs> of the world. Around the world, it's open warfare. Not to mention, I mean, I just, oh, you know, post Snowden and knowing everything we now know about our attempts to derail Nuran's, uh, Nuran's. <laughs> That's Iran nukes. Iran's uh, weapon program. Uh, that's good. I like that. Knowing about our, our sophistication and cooperation with countries like Israel and the Five Eyes partners. What stick are guys like this using to measure the uh, ineptitude of our cyber capabilities? What stick is... What, what's, what's the measurement here? <sighs> I don't understand. It confuses me. It hurts my head. But you know what? You know what makes me feel better. I'll take a moment, and I'm going to try to do this in all of the overtimes. Is I want to just say thank you to those of you who became supporters since our last episode. So uh, I got a couple of names we're going to read right here. Uh, so thank you to uh, Charles B, Eric M, Walter J, Sean F, Catherine P, James E, Matthew R, and Caleb C. That's a great list. And I, I realized last week I gave out last names, and I'm not sure if that's okay with you guys. Uh, yeah, producer Matt, that's true. You could become part of the Cyber Army. Well, now we have a larger... You know what? The Unfiltered supporters are our Cyber Army. So I need to go over to the Patreon page because that is... Uh, it's a great turnout. So thank you guys very much. Let me see where we're at right now. Of course, we've probably already done this in the show by the time you're hearing this. So I apologize. 444. That's awesome. Look at that. That's great. All right. So that means we've, uh, we've reached the uh, the milestone. Now, Chase isn't here yet, so I can't reveal what the, what the next step in the secret plans are until Chase is here. But I want to, again, say thank you to Charles, Eric, Walter, Sean, Catherine, James, Matthew, and Caleb for becoming supporters this week in the show. You also get the victory horn. Thank you, thank you, thank you very much. Okay, so there's a whole bunch of clips that need to be covered from the 2016 election. Now, don't worry. we got some other elections to cover, too. <laughs> We won't spend too much time with this, but I thought if you didn't get a chance to watch Super Tuesday number three's uh, high, high, uh, best comments or um, um, speeches, geez, whatever you want to call them, I guess they're speeches. Trump more does like a, he does more of a uh, 
of a press conference. He goes up there, he makes a couple of remarks, and then he holds a Q&A, which, uh, I, I don't know, it's, it's kind of unique. And then, you know, Hillary and Byrne and the rest, they're doing their typical, uh, they're doing their typical speeches. And so instead of watching all of those, which are going, just go on forever, got a, like a two minute clip that's like a highlight of some of the best moments, well, quote unquote, of these speeches. Thank you all so very much. Sit down, everybody, please. Florida was so amazing. Woo! I have to thank the people of the great state of Ohio. I love you. It's, it's unbelievable. Awesome. It's literally unbelievable. And I want to remind you again tonight that I will not take the low road to the highest office in the land. When we hear a candidate for president call for rounding up 12 million immigrants banning all Muslims from entering the United States. Whoa, boo, boo, boo. Oh my God, boo. When he embraces torture, that doesn't make him strong. No, boo. It makes him wrong. She's good at those. Next week, Arizona has a very important election. Go, Bernie. We will win. Now, you notice, too, uh, the music that the media has chosen. Now, this clip here is uh, from CNN, and CNN has chosen to lay down a music bed behind it, and they're, they're, they're trying to sort of time it, too. They're really trying to give it momentum, and I think they release these kind of clips online hoping that maybe you'll share them. You'll share them, and they keep it short. It's a couple of minutes long, and uh, they want I – I gather this is a ratings bonanza for these guys. Unbelievable ratings bonanza for these guys. And so uh, I gather that for them, it's within their best interest to sort of get you back up to speed on what's going on because, hey, guess what? Uh, once you get interested and hooked in this kind of thing, uh, they have a whole bunch of more programming you could watch. And uh, it is the uh, season for financial calls for CBS, the Tiffany Network. And their CEO has gotten in trouble recently. Their CBS chief executive, I think his name is Les, and uh, Les... Well, he's gotten in trouble recently for saying, go Donald, during an investor call in December. And in February, he said Donald Trump's campaign may be may not be good for America, but it's damn good for CBS. He got in some trouble for saying that. And so now he had to tone down his comments a little bit in a recent, well, I think this investor call was, uh, why, just yesterday, perhaps. What do you think on political? Is it is it too early to know whether or not we'll see a new high water mark for political advertising revenue? I'd be surprised if we don't see a new high water mark. This is uh, this is a pretty. Now again, this is the CBS uh, executive, uh, and this is an investor call questioning. Interesting year. I'm going to be careful what I said because I got in trouble last week for saying something that got misconstrued about Mr. Trump. All I said was he's very good for ratings. Uh, put it that way. Our ratings are way up in the debates. And that hey. means extra money in political advertising. Boy, that's great. Uh, if you notice, there's a whole new batch of advertising being spent right now. <laughs> um, the political situation is very strong. I think it will remain so the rest of the year. It obviously helps our local stations a lot. We have a lot of stations in key markets, and um, so we're looking forward to this year as to be a, a year that delivers a lot of political, political advertising. Yeah. In other words, it's going to be a bang-up year for revenue for CBS. I mean, there's some concern out there that um, if Trump is a Republican nominee, that he'll spend less on TV because of his uh, utilization, effective utilization of 
both social media as well as um, just the cable news, right? Now, to, just to deconstruct what that, what that man just said, is what he's asking is, well, there is, there is the potential that if Trump is the nominee, that could be bad for revenue. Because he will buy less ads, as he's traditionally has. So are you concerned that a Trump, a Trump nominee could be bad for revenue? Um, I mean, how much of a factor do you think that is? Do you think it matters? And, you know, really, it's not just a presidential election, right? I mean, no. you've, got the, you've got the congressional. Well, what, what, what becomes interesting, depending on who the candidates are, there may be some Republican candidates that local senators and governors are going to have to spend more money because let's put it this way, they may not be absolutely in sync with the national ticket. So there may be more money spent that way. You hear what he's um, saying? Going that way. So put it this way. In other words, because you can't, you might not want to put your, you might want to attach, or I guess the political term is you might not want to ride the coattails of Donald Trump because he's so radioactively hot politically. The governors and other races will have to stand out on their own so much that they're going to have to spend more money. They're going to have to spend more money. We're anticipating a record-breaking year. Everything we've seen, everything we've heard, our analysts tell us it's going to be a very good year. Yeah. Oh, good so for CBS. Good for CBS. Now, um, if, you, if you think that's just for CBS, I'll tell you it's for all of them. So now I go back to this CNN clip, and it kind of explains why there's some upbeat music and they're trying to maybe reach out to the millennials to watch this because more, 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 more money, everybody. <laughs> Whoa! That Bernie clip is loud. We will win if the voter turnout is high. Nobody has ever, ever in the history of politics received the kind of negative advertising that I have. By the way, mostly false. I wouldn't say 100%, but about 90%. Mostly false. After tonight, it is clear that while we are on the right side... This year, we will not be on the winning side. Only two campaigns have a plausible path to the nomination. Ours and Donald Trump's. Nobody else has any mathematical possibility whatsoever. Marco is a friend. He ran a strong, optimistic, positive campaign. Great, talented, and fine United States senator. He's tough, he's smart, and he's got a great future. I haven't had a chance to speak to him yet, but I want to congratulate Donald Trump on his victory, a big victory in Florida. No, 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 no. Do not give in to the fear. Do not give in to the frustration. And while today my campaign is suspended... The fact that I've even come this far is evidence of how special America truly is. Thank you and God bless you all. Go Marco! Go Marco! Mr. Chase when he gets here, but maybe I can reveal the uh, next step in the secret plan. So step one for the unfiltered secret milestone plans. Now I got to redo the page. So thanks, everybody. Thanks. Thanks. Big thanks. Now I got to go redo the page. Come up with new stuff. Great. 
<laughs> Anyways, I'm totally joking, obviously. Uh, so phase one of the secret plans was a restructuring of a few things, uh, some of which will sort of be revealed more. But part one is sort of recognizing two realities of the Unfiltered show. Reality number one was only a small percentage of our supporters, a, a, you know, about 30% of our supporters were downloading the supporter show. <clears throat> Reality number two meant that a show that was built around the idea of getting the most important information out to people was withholding some information from some people that, uh, behind a paywall, essentially. Uh, which is totally opposite to the intention of the show. And it was really sort of gnawing at me. So we restructured, now we're appending overtime to the end of each show to give you additional context of some of the stuff we covered. So if you listen to the first half of the show or the first part of the show, it'll be focused on the stuff that, that sort of made history that week. In the overtime, we, we, give, we give time for really anything. To really anything can happen over time. Generally, I play additional clips that give you more information. Uh, or we start tracking stories a lot of times. I guess I, I should probably, since some of you are listening for the first time, I should probably tell you about how some of this works. Uh, a lot of times the way it works with this overtime is what would seem to be either minor stories. We start tracking them in overtime because they we can, our sense after doing this for a while says maybe this is something we should be watching. It's not necessarily worth taking main show time. And then it starts to develop, and then we move it up into the main show, and we, we generally do a, we try to do a good introduction when it makes it to the main show. But it, it, fundamentally, if you've been listening to the overtime for the, that entire time, you, have, you just have such a broader context, and you'll understand more of the conversation and back and forth Chase and I have, and some of the context and uh, basis for some of the comments we make. Sometimes, like, we'll, we'll, we'll claim, like, well, blah 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 and you're like, well, where'd they get that stat? Well, that was a, that was a stat we just got in the overtime. <laughs> we just listened to that in overtime, and we just, you know... We're reciting something we played, but wasn't necessarily in the show. And we try not to do that very often, but it can happen. So the idea was here, well, now if we just integrate it into the main show and just make it obvious when this is a different segment of the show, then that's pretty understandable. And if people don't have time for it, they just turn it off. It does ding us in some ways. And this is actually one of the reasons why it's really important that we are listener supported. Uh, because one of the main ways, hey, you know what I, you know what I have here right here? You know what I have right here? Hold on a second, everybody. Hold on. The technology compels me to... Ah, look, I have a camera. Look at that. Wow. Uh, it's, it's, it's working right now. So uh, where was I going with this? So one of the things that uh, is sort of important to understand for this show is because we are listener-funded, we can take sort of riskier steps. A, we can experiment with a format like this in a way that might make an advertiser uncomfortable. Just sort of changing something about the show like this. Most advertisers that we work with are pretty cool about that kind of thing, but... I could definitely understand there would be some advertisers that would be like, what the hell are you doing? That seems really unstable and risky. Uh, but beyond even just, just that, which isn't even something I had to consider until, until I just thought of that, because, again, audience funded. But beyond that, the, the thing that's sort of like was my top concern, you might think this is odd, unless unless you've published on YouTube for a while, you then you'll understand. Uh, a two-hour file on YouTube is a death sentence. Nobody nobody jumps on YouTube and goes, you know what I want to do is watch that two-hour clip. I mean, some people do. I actually do. <laughs> but I don't have cable. Uh, but not a lot of people go on YouTube. By not a lot of people, I mean 98% of the people that go on YouTube aren't going on there to watch something two minutes. They're going on there, to, or two hours. They're going on to watch something two minutes. <clears throat> so... 
it while it meant giving the show more content and giving people more context and more information, it also means making it less appealing to people discovering it and clicking it. It makes it a riskier proposition to get into, uh, which I, which essentially makes it uh, dead weight to advertisers. If your show is is sort of high, if your show has a high discovery bar. Uh, let me just tell you, nobody's going on YouTube and searching for a topic and then filtering by shows that are over an hour. N- that's not that's not even happening once. So, uh, yeah, it's just it's one of those things we can do because it makes the show better and it, it's better for our audience. And we never had to consider. What about the advertiser? So that's why audience funding is super important for a show like ours. All right, so you got your highlights there. Uh, yeah, Rubio did drop out, but I'm kind of done with Rubio. Uh, oh, well, you know, I'm done with Rubio. But I don't think Mr. Trump is necessarily done with Rubio. Listen to his words. And, and, I, have to, and I have to say it. I have to say it that, uh, number one, I want to congratulate Marco Rubio on having run a really tough campaign. He's tough, he's smart, and he's got a great future. He's got a great future. There you go. But I have to say, and... As your vice president, probably not. Nobody has ever, ever, in the history of politics, received the kind of negative advertising that I have. I like that he goes on that so much. That's pretty great, isn't it? That, that Trump, we don't need to hear it again, though. So part one uh, is sort of already underway. This is part one, this overtime. Uh, part two, I think I'll, I'll try to, I'll, I'll, I'll feel Chase out. And if he's feeling up for it, I'll reveal it once he gets here. It's actually, there's multi-parts multi, multi parts to it. Even, like, part one, even this part, actually still has, like, subparts that aren't done yet. Each part has, like, subparts. I gotta give me, like, some project management software here. I don't know what I'm gonna do. I think I might riot. So now you're heading into a convention. Uh, if you get to one, two, three, seven, or if you don't, and you're close... You're going to be going to a convention. What is your plan to bring people together there and get many, as you know, who don't want you to get this nomination to change their minds? Because I think there's a natural healing process. Once the battle is over, once the war is over, I think there really is a natural healing process. And I've gotten along with people all my life. This is actually a little bit unusual. I've gotten along very well with people, and I think it'll happen again. And I, I believe it will. Now, if it doesn't, it doesn't. I'll go along the same path, which has obviously been an effective path. I think we'll win before getting to the convention. But I can tell you, if we didn't, and if we're 20 votes short, or if we're, if we're you know, 100 short, and we're at 1,100 and somebody else is at 500 or 400, because we're way ahead of everybody, I don't think you can say that we don't get it automatically. I think it would be, I think you'd have riots. I think you'd have oh, riots. Oh, you know, we uh I'm representing a tremendous, many, many millions of people. So that is, that people are taking that this evening and running with it like crazy. Uh, so I, I, I skimmed the news before I got on air today. And uh, right as before I got on air, Aaron burned it out front. Her top story was that statement right there. And essentially they're saying that he's inciting riots. He's an insider. Good evening. It's often said that words matter. And tonight it's Donald Trump's words under scrutiny as part of a criminal investigation by sheriff's officials in North Carolina. NBC News has confirmed that authorities are looking at whether Trump or his campaign incited a supporter to attack a protester at a rally in Cumberland County last week. 
Violent clashes between Trump supporters and protesters have become more frequent, reaching a new level on Friday night in Chicago when bloody fights broke out after a Trump rally was abruptly canceled. Now, don't don't think for a second that, A, that investigation isn't political, but B, something I find interesting about uh, these um, outbreaks of violence that we're using to condemn Trump. Now, you guys know me. I'm no, I'm no Trump supporter. <laughs> but I'm just... I just Oh God! What a what a shit storm the U.S. has ahead of itself. Anyways, back on track. Uh, okay, it, I mean I, I don't mean it. It takes two to tango, guys. Somebody, if if somebody has to go there to get in a fight, so yeah, maybe a seventy-eight year old man used his elbow to, to hit a protester in the face, but somebody had to. There had to be somebody else to go to provoke violence. In other words. The other side is just as guilty, right? Am I missing something? If somebody goes there, now you could say if somebody goes there and they're doing and they're being peaceful and then they get attacked, yeah, that seems bad. Uh, I wonder, could it be possible? Have you noticed? Okay, oh boy, oh geez, I didn't expect it. Oh gosh, well I do have some emergency backup bacon. What? Yeah, I got. Oh my gosh, yeah, it's no. Anderson Cooper, everybody. Yes, thank you, Anderson. Thank you. Here, here's that. Here, I got Anderson Cooper bacon right here. Okay. What if some of the recent protests we've been seeing all over the world where everybody immediately has like a sign printed for them that's perfect, ready to go, same font, same slogan, good to go. Somebody's setting up the meetings. Uh, People are distributing uh, stuff for like propaganda pamphlets. They're distributing these signs. There are social media organizers that are just using Facebook groups and meet up to put all these people and organize all of them. Isn't it possible that some of them could also be sending people in to cause this very narrative? It's the perfect narrative. Let's start tonight with NBC's Katie Turr. Donald Trump facing an investigation tonight as a North Carolina sheriff's office confirms it is looking at whether statements made by the candidate constituted inciting a riot after an African-American man was sucker punched at a rally by a Trump supporter in Fayetteville last week. The attacker, a 78-year-old white man, also threatened to kill the protester. The next time we see him, we might have to kill him. Trump telling NBC News he's considering legal help for the attacker. I've actually instructed my people to look into it, yes. The temperature surrounding Trump's campaign only getting hotter. Anger outside Trump rallies. Boiling over inside. Trump fired up. Get him out of here. And his surrogates spoiling for a fight. We don't have time for is all that petty, punk, little thuggery stuff that's been going on with these quote-unquote protesters. All of the unease today coming on the heels of ugly incidents over the weekend in Chicago. Go to Auschwitz. Along with anti-Semitism in Cleveland and police clashes in Kansas City. Trump's supporters are undeterred. Politicians that have been elected have forgotten who got who have got us there. The campaign trail hot under the collar, a microcosm of the electorate. Something tells me somebody's stirring the pot. <clears throat> Just sort of smells that way to me. Maybe I'm wrong. I'd love to hear your thoughts. Leave a comment. It feels like to me there's maybe somebody that's stirring the pot a little bit. Oh, by the way, Trump, yeah, he's going to pay some legal fees. 
Oh, I love it. Right there. Boom. So that protester, uh, Trump says he's going to pay the, the legal fees for the uh, for the uh, man who hit the protester. Isn't that great? Isn't that great? Now, here's a great story for you. We have Team Fox coverage now. Ed Henry live in Chicago following the Democrats. First, Carl Cameron in Palm Beach, Florida. You've been to these rallies. What have you seen? Well, Trump calls them love fests, even though there have been some people who have been pretty banged up. There have been arrests, and there have been some folks who have actually been hospitalized. Uh, but Trump supporters are unbelievably devoted. Uh, they are determined. They're passionate. They're growing in number. Now, this clip, uh, it's, I'll give you a title just so you know where this is going. Mind you, this is on Fox News. you got Shepard Smith there reporting. Uh, Essentially, some trolls on the campaign trail duped this Fox reporter and others into thinking that Trump supporters were beginning to wear armbands. And every single time that there is a controversy or in some cases a violent uh, potential crime, and there have been people charged with crimes and misdemeanors, uh, they dig in even further. We're here in West Palm Beach, Florida, and just a moment ago, we met a couple of guys, Shep, who were walking down the sidewalk, and they had armbands, Trump armbands. Uh, it looks so fake, you guys. Not the kind of thing you normally see, uh, buttons, bumper stickers, occasionally T-shirts, but, but armbands uh, is, a, is, a, is a fairly new phenomenon. It looks so, so fake, you guys. It, it almost looks like it's paper. In American presidential politics, and uh, so is Donald Trump. <laughs> and that was a total troll, fake story, uh, and the guy fell for it, uh, which is just so, it's so great. I... Uh, <laughs> I love catching him with that kind of stuff. That's a good clip the producer Matt found, and the and the and the reporter goes on to talk about uh, the the bad precedent that could be being set there. It's a, it's great, and that is in the uh, supporter sync if you want it. All right, so I promise we do have other elections, and I know how excited you are about it. Them Germans, I guess they're not liking Merkel's stance on increasing. Uh, Merkel's got this plan to increase Germany's population. It's called the refugees. The German Chancellor suffered a bruising, too, in Sunday's regional elections. Official results show many voters have turned their backs on Angela Merkel in favor instead of the anti-immigration alternative for Germany party, the Uh-oh. AFD. I like this Russia Today reporting they're doing now. They're doing this more and more where I guess they just decide that the reporters don't talk very good. So it's just easier to just do infographics. One thing that makes me uh, take pause here is if Merkel's out, there's a lot of work in bugging those phones. We're going to have to bug at a whole other guy's cell phone. It's interesting, too, that uh, so she's taking a hard stance on this whole um, immigrant thing, or as I call them, refugees. And it seems it does seem to be costing her politically. If we got uh, listeners over there that have insights on that, I'd love to know your thoughts on it. Because, you know, this RT reporting, uh, it's interesting. But it, you know, for all I know, of course, it, it could be fairly biased being from RT. Uh, I can play a little bit of their coverage for you just because they seem to at least be t- – they, they seem at least to be discussing it, I guess you could say. Now you're a correspondent uh, on the line from Berlin. Hi there. And what's the reaction been then to these election results? Hi. 
Hi there. Hi. Well, Hi. we'll have a look at the, the daily newspapers here in Germany, and it's dominating the headlines. We start off with Bild. I'll try and get that so you can see the headline there. I am a complete unprofessional. basically translates loosely as election madness, and they go on to explain what that election madness is underneath the CDU, Angela Merkel's party, Angela. losing out in Baden-Württemberg. They're heartland, really. Also, the AFD, alternative for Deutschland, picking up seats in all three states that there are elections and they say getting over 20% in Saxony-Anhalt. I think we're going to see that they, by the time all the counting's done they'll take almost a quarter of the vote there. On the front page of the Welt there's a picture of the Green Party candidate who won in Baden-Württemberg. That is a big, big win for them and a big loss for Angela Merkel's party, of course. They also talk about AfD getting into Parliament in all three states. And Süddeutsche Zeitung, they didn't go with a picture or a pithy headline. They let the numbers do the talking. And these blue squares here that you can see, that's the proportion of the vote this um, alternative for Deutschland took. Got to remember, they didn't exist three years ago, but they've certainly announced themselves on the political stage. And it has left Angela Merkel's CDU rocked quite a bit. Um, We've seen some splits within the party, particularly from um, one party member, Erika Steinbeck. She was tweeting that the Chancellor's current uh, refugee policy was akin to that of a dictator. We've also seen other candidates um, in the lead up to this election distancing themselves as far as they possibly could. Oh! But still not quite as exciting as the US elections. I'm sorry, guys. <laughs> but I mean, I'm just saying. to speculation and cheap money. Born from the construction boom fuelled by China's $500 billion stimulus package in 2008. But the one thing missing here is people. It's 8.30 in the morning in Shenfu. In any other city in the world, that would be peak hour. Not here. The old saying is, build it and they will come. Well, they certainly haven't come yet. Shen Fu is in Liaoning province in northeastern China. For a decade, Liaoning and its two northern neighbours were the fastest growing in China. But this region has become a casualty of plunging commodity prices and stalling economic growth. It's now known as the Rust Belt. Billboards around town show what Shen Fu should have looked like. But this is what it is. Rows of stores locked up and empty their windows advertising what should have been there. And nowhere is that misplaced optimism more pronounced than the city centre. The American architect who designed this was asked to come up with a concept for the heart of the city, and this is what he produced, the so-called ring of life behind this artificial lake. Well, I'm sharing this view of the ring of life with just a couple of cleaners, and if you look at the buildings all around it, most of them are either vacant or unfinished. 
and it's proving tough to fill them. 56-year-old Lee Siu stands by the side of the road for seven hours a day handing out leaflets advertising apartments. There aren't many takers. At the showroom of her employer, Liaoning Tongcheng, it's also quiet. So how much of this has been built? The sales agents tell me, in something of an understatement, that this is a buyer's market. They say sales started falling in 2013 and haven't turned around. But it's critical to China's economic growth plan that they do. Places like Shenfu are now a priority for Beijing as the leadership bets on the property market to help fuel growth. We spoke to provincial government officials about what their proposals are to try to rehabilitate these areas. They say they're still studying the plan. So the only concrete steps so far are coming from Beijing to turn the property market around. But in the Rust Belt, that is going to be a monumental task. We've got a little China update, which I think is interesting. Obviously, following their economy and the impact it would have here, right? So speaking of here, I'm really glad that they're paying more attention to the problem with painkillers. I think, I hope this clip gets into some of the detail, but the death numbers now from opioids and uh, prescription painkillers is getting up, it's just, it's, it's, I think it's getting up there almost with car accidents. I mean, it's really, it's really astounding. And so the CDC is urging doctors to back off a bit. Doctors this morning have new first-ever guidelines for prescribing powerful opioid painkillers. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention wants doctors to back off giving the highly addictive drugs to patients with chronic pain. The director said over-prescribing these medications is a key driver of the country's drug overdose epidemic. Our Dr. Tara Narula is with us. Tara, good morning. Good morning, Nora. Boy, this is a very important recommendation, isn't it? It is. It's huge. It's the first time that the national governor's stepped in in this way. And they basically put out 12 recommendations for primary care practitioners who treat chronic pain, pain for longer than three months. Their recommendations highlight the fact that the preferred treatment should be non-opioid or non-pharmacologic. If you are going to give an opioid, you better make sure that the benefits in terms of pain and functional improvement outweigh the risks. You need to establish treatment goals with your patients. You need to discuss the risks and benefits at certain time intervals. Also, when you increase dosages, don't combine benzos with opioids and use the lowest effective dose uh, and also follow your patients in terms of their risk of getting addicted or dependent. And what are some of the brand names for opioids so people would know, you know, what they're prescribed so, those? Percocet, Vicodin, morphine, codeine, oxycodone, oxycontin, Demerol. All of those Those names. are all the names yeah. that we've all, all heard. Kinds. As, yeah. as habit-forming. Exactly, yeah. Right. yeah. And we keep hearing that they could be as addictive as, as heroin. Yeah. We, so how did this become such a problem? We have such a huge epidemic in this country. You know, over 200 million prescriptions were given out in 2014. Forty people die every day from opioid overdoses. Uh, you suppose that has... Interesting. Interesting. Hmm. You know, the heroin situation here in Washington and all over the U.S. is really bad. Huh. Hmm. 2014, 40 people die every day from opioid overdosing. 
How many people die every day from uh, cannabis overdosing? Can anybody in the chat room go Google that for me really quick? Two million people are dependent or abuse opioids. And I think Tom Frieden, the director of the CDC, really said it well when he said this is really the only medication that is used to treat a non-fatal condition that kills so many patients so frequently. Why is that? Do you think people don't know how to take them? They, they're they're so, disregarding doctor's orders <laughs> yeah, or it. not getting the order. It's a number of things that have contributed. You know, in the 80s, They want to get screwed up. That's what it is. And they go too far. In the 90s, there was a real big push in the medical community to treat pain. Yeah. And, and it was this feeling that we really weren't being aggressive enough about it. So doctors sort of went a little bit overboard. In addition, the drug companies then were marketing opioids as being safe, non-addictive, mm-hmm. and really misleading the medical community in many ways. Combine that with the fact that doctors were being graded in terms of how well they were controlling pain and reimbursed. Doctors weren't being well-trained on the addictive potential. And then opioids began to be given out for things like dental procedures, mm-hmm. headaches, back mm-hmm. pain, surgical procedures. And here we are with the mess we have today. Mm-hmm. So if you're in pain, mm-hmm. what if do you're you in do? pain, there are other okay. options. I just want to change yep. the subject so- for a moment. <laughs> <laughs> At what point is it too close to birth to be on live television? <laughs> it's never too close, Charlie. I have yeah. faith in you. I'll walk what, that he could the deliver steps. the baby? Yes, yes. Oh, okay. <laughs> now, Charlie, get the hot towels. You have, you have more faith than I yeah. do. Just but... don't give me any opioids. Ah-ha-ha. Yeah. <laughs> uh-huh. uh-huh. <laughs> So there seems to be a lot of um, a lack of complete analysis here. It's really something. Uh, I, oh, good. I think we have an incoming report on. Uh, so, Mr. Sweetlou, are you on the line there? Yeah, I'm on the line. Chris. Hello, hello, Mr. Sweetlou. Uh, everybody stand by. We have a little bit of breaking news. This is CNN breaking That's news. right. Yes. Uh, Mr. Sweetlou, what are you learning about the uh, death rates per day of cannabis overdose? What have you learned? What are you learning? Zero. Zero. Oh, oh, very good, very good. Thank you, Mr. Sweetlou. Thank you, Mr. Sweetlou. Yes, there you go. It's all about that money, you guys. Of course, you already knew that, didn't you? All right, there you go, Mr. Sweetlou, our reporter on the ground. Thank you, Mr. Sweetlou, for reporting in. There are zero, zero, huh? Huh, isn't that interesting? Hey, well, why don't we talk about, uh, while we're talking about dying. <laughs> Jeez, that's horrible. Ah. Uh, the podcaster in me has to segue, but the human being in me hates that segue. Let's talk about terrorism. That's awful. That's so awful. Uh, and this is this is an interesting story. This is an example of a story that we begin to track here in overtime that I think could be relevant down the road. Uh, this is a little bit about, uh, well, it's follow-up on the Paris attack, actually. Now this Fox News alert, French police arrest four people suspected of planning an attack in Paris. This as authorities in Belgium search for two suspects possibly linked to the massacre in Paris in November. Senior foreign affairs correspondent Greg Palcott monitoring that live from London. Greg. Uh, John, just in the past half hour or so, we have heard from the top cop in France. He's the interior minister. And yes, he confirms that uh, in the early hours of this morning, in and around Paris, four different people were arrested. And yes, they were thought to be involved in a possible or suspected attack on the French capital. This comes just four months after that ISIS-backed terror spree, which left 130 people dead in Paris. Those arrested today are said to have ties with radical Islam. One has been convicted of trying to go to Syria to wage jihad, and he is said to be well-known among terror circles. And all of this comes just a day after yet another terror raid, this time in next-door Belgium, in the capital there, Brussels. 
Those inside the apartment targeted by anti-terror forces there fired back. Four policemen were injured in that raid. Inside the apartment, a 35-year-old Algerian man was killed. Also discovered on the floor and around that apartment, a flag of the ISIS terror group, a radical Convenient. Islam manual, a Kalashnikov automatic rifle. and a Also, there was a body found uh, with the... Uh ISIS flag draped over it. Super convenient. A whole lot of ammunition. Two others apparently who were inside the apartment fled. They remain on the run. Yesterday's raid was, in fact, linked to last year's carnage in Paris. That carnage. all was staged to a large degree from Belgium. And in the past couple of months in Brussels and around Brussels, there have been a lot of arrests, a lot of arrests in Paris, too, in the past couple of months. Both countries, both cities on high alert still. Back to you, John. Greg Palka in London. Thank you, Greg. Last week we covered these ISIS documents, and uh, it felt like there was going to be a lot more coming out. So next, I'm going to play a clip about the structure of ISIS that was revealed by these clips. Now this would really help out the good guys, quote-unquote. Possible major breakthrough in tracking down ISIS terrorists. German intelligence say they've uncovered the personal documents of thousands of ISIS recruits, including Americans. But is it authentic? And what do we need, what do we need to do with this intel? Joining us now for his reaction is Dr. Sebastian Gorka. He is the chair of military theory at Marine Corps University and is the author of the book Defeating Jihad: The Winnable War. Dr. Gorka, always great to have you here on the show. What do these documents tell us? We'll put some bullet points up here on the screen. There's 22,000 ISIS members. What would we what should we be doing with this information? Well, first we have to verify its authenticity. This came from a Syrian opposition media source and was forwarded to uh, British and German media. And now the security uh, services of various Western nations are feverishly examining whether or not this is really ISIS uh, documentation or not. And if it is, it could be very, very valuable because, as you said, it's supposedly the personnel file files of more than 20,000 uh, ISIS jihadis from more than 40 countries around the world. I'm just scanning these documents. We're showing them here on the screen. And as, as the camera is panning down the columns, you see what it says there. American, married with one child, American living in San Diego. What do we make of that? <coughs> Well, this is the, the, the scary truth about ISIS. Uh, since ISIS declared the caliphate in summer of 2014, we have had here in America almost 100 people arrested or intercepted in various forms that are connected to ISIS. So
That's not exactly accurate. That's not exactly accurate. That, see, if you include all of those people, you are including those people that may have read a tweet based on their web history. That's that's how you get to that number. I want to I want to I want to I want to make sure you understand what he's saying. Is what the number he's quoting there is what the U.S. government considers people that may have read a tweet. That's how you get to that number. Otherwise, the number is much less. In America, almost 100 people arrested or intercepted in various forms that are connected to ISIS. So this isn't just about a threat, you know, 8,000 miles away in the Middle East. This is about a threat to America and attacks occurring. As we know, the San Bernardino attack was linked to ISIS through the social media postings of a Tashfin Malik, one of those murderous jihadis. The image I think we have of ISIS is, well, they're social media savvy, yet they want to return to a, a medieval world of Islam. Because it's bullshit. It is, it is such – it is – I cannot – I can't even believe that we've been able to get this far without people calling this out. Savvy, yet they want to return to a, a medieval world of Islam. So, you know, 700s basically they want to get back to. And yet when I see these – So are they just getting on um, the Verizon LTE in Syria and then just loading the Twitter app and uh, – pro- oh, what's that? Hold on, guys. Hold on, guys. Just a second. I'm getting a feed from the back office here. Uh-huh. Yeah, the Twitter accounts cutter. Uh-huh. Right. Hmm. It sounded like from the back office that this Twitter thing is complete bullshit. Folders and binders. Are they going through like an interview process? They're taking blood types. They're sitting down across the, the table from like a human resources director. It seems insane to me. Yes. Well, think about it. You know, every uh, organization, and this is a large organization with up to 76,000 jihadi fighters in ISIS today, has to have some kind of structure. Whether you're the totalitarian Nazis of World War II, mm-hmm. whether you're the oh, communists geez. of the Soviet oh, Union, geez. or whether you're these religious totalitarians, uh-huh. you've got to have some kind of organization, some kind of information, and most importantly, a way to sieve the individuals to check out who they really are. <laughs> Could they be yeah, spies? Guys. Are they trustworthy? And where do they come from? And what skills do they have that we could use in the new caliphate? You know, I, I don't mean to brag, but I think I could do that guy's job a little bit better. <laughs> I just, I just, wow. I, I don't know. Um, so let's talk about, jeez, uh, I just, I got to move on. I don't, I don't want to sit here and rant for 15 minutes. Uh, so let's talk about Russia pulling out of Syria. So a topic we covered in the main show. But I think what's interesting is the next couple of clips I'm about to play you. That uh, Well, at least uh, the next two. Yes, well, that would be a couple. Uh, they come from RT. The telling thing from the clips that play that I'm about to play from RT. They legitimately had no idea Putin was about to do it. The Russian state media had no idea what was coming. Now, that either tells us two things. It was immediate, like immediate, or they're not as directly connected as Western media might like you to believe. I 
don't know where. It's probably somewhere in the middle. In what comes as a sudden change in ongoing hostilities there in Syria, the news of the Russian troop withdrawal comes as a big surprise to many. To better understand how these major developments and what they mean for the peace process and for regional stability, we're going to be joined now by Michael Malouf, a writer and former senior security policy analyst in the office of the Secretary of Defense. Mr. Malouf, so thanks guy, for joining us today. Pleasure. So he comes from the Pentagon. Uh, he's a formal, former analyst. Uh, now, I, I believe it's this couple. Listen to the words she's about to use, uh, because I think it's, it's important because it reveals her thought process. Russia's uh, withdrawal seems sudden and, and comes to surprise, to, I think, a, a lot of people, even in, in the newsroom here. I, now, I want you to hear what she said there. Russia's withdrawal becomes a surprise to a lot of people, even here in this newsroom. And the reason why I think that stands out is she's differentiating, saying even here in this newsroom. So the first group of people in her mind is the public. It comes as a surprise to the public. And then the second group of people that are also surprised are here in this newsroom, i.e. the people that are in on the loop, the people that are aware of what's going on. I find that to be uh, I find that to be kind of interesting. So let me break this down for her again. Seems sudden and and comes to surprise, I think, a a lot of people. So that would be the public. A a lot of people. A lot of people would be the public. Uh, You know, she's surprised about a a lot of people like the public or the general Western media. That could be the Western media. Sudden and and comes to surprise, I think, a a lot of people, even in, in the newsroom here. Even in the newsroom here. Now, I, I, I got to believe that betrays something pretty significant. And you might be thinking I'm reading too much into this. But to be honest with you, I think I'm not. I, I honestly listening to that and knowing, you know, just sometimes how those things sneak out when you're on air and you're hosting a show and you're setting up a guest and you're transitioning and the news is breaking and you're a little frazzled because you don't have a complete picture and you're throwing to this guy. And it, it is it is super common for these internal thoughts to just sort of be vocalized because while you're searching for the next thing to say, if you're good at this job, you have trained yourself to still talk while you're thinking about the next thing. But the thing is, it's a very automatic process and you're not really filtering what comes out of your mouth. You're just talking while you're thinking about the next thing. Like right now, I'm talking while I'm thinking about pressing the space bar to play the rest of the clip. And, and comes to surprise, I think, a, a lot of people, lot even of people. In, in the newsroom here. But uh, President Putin has said, quote, with the participation of the Russian military, the Syrian armed forces and patriotic Syrian forces have been able to achieve a fundamental turnaround in the fight against international terrorism and have taken the initiative in almost all respects. Does that mean that Russia's goal of of neutralizing ISIS and securing President Assad's position have been achieved? Uh, No, not necessarily. I think it it was clear that that Russia's participation was not going to be a permanent thing. A a nearly six-month period of time seemed reasonable to try to uh, help uh, the Assad government to regain. Six months. That's pretty tight, isn't it? I mean, I, I, uh, I, I, uh, I, I effing hate. I'm, I'm trying not to swear. I effing hate when I sound like I'm coming across defending Russia or uh, Putin. But uh, <laughs> as somebody who lives in a nation where once we go into somewhere in the Middle East, we never leave. Six months. 
Oh, man, that's pretty impressive. Now, I am a little skeptical that they're a complete pullout. I'm still keeping my eye out to see if there are additional troops out there still or special operations like we might do. But six months, it's pretty tight. It's pretty tight, and it did change things. Seemed reasonable to try to uh, help uh, the Assad government to regain uh, control over its area and get rid of the many of the uh, jihadi salafists that were uh, threatening uh, uh, Damascus, uh, frankly. And so I think that this was a, a big shot in the arm. I think it gives, however, a de facto uh, uh, recognition, if you will, of of, of a partition of of uh, Syria. Number one. Uh, it, it does secure the, the western portion uh, for, for Assad. Uh, the northern part uh, goes for the Kurds. It, it really doesn't do all that much to take out ISIS in the eastern portion. And I was hoping that perhaps uh, 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 President Putin might uh, then start uh, focusing more on Raqqa and those areas out there. Now, the fact that he's going to have forces there is going to be uh, significant. Now, you brought up the eastern portion. What about the western side? What, what effect will the Russian withdrawal have on Turkey's increasing belligerence towards Syria? Well, that's going to be another problem. Uh, uh, allegedly, uh, Saudi Arabia also is sending in 150 50,000 troops to stage in, in Turkey. Now, if if they decide to march into Syria, I think all bets are off. I think the, then uh, Moscow is going to have to uh, rethink its uh, strategy. I think clearly that this was a good tactical move in terms of trying to, to get the peace process uh, underway, but it's, 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 uh, it's an incremental step. Mm. Pretty good analysis, I think. Chase is on final approach, you guys. We got to move. So I'm going to play you another clip that kind of underscores what I was mentioning earlier about their surprise. Over the last hour or so, it's our breaking news here in RT. Russian President Vladimir Putin has ordered the withdrawal Putin. of the bulk of Russian military forces from Milk. Syria. He said the Defence Ministry's main mission there had been accomplished. Russia's permanent naval base in Tartus and a permanent air base too in Latakia province will continue to operate as before. The withdrawal was agreed with the Syrian President Bashar al-Assad and in a phone conversation the Russian and Syrian leaders expressed their hope uh, that the peace talks, which started today in Geneva will bring visible results. The Russian president has also said the actions of Russian troops in Syria has allowed the peace process to get going. In a short period of time, Russia created a small but very effective military group in Syria. The effective work of our military forces allowed the peace process to begin. I think the task of Russia's defense ministry and the Russian troops is in general complete. Syrian government troops and patriotic forces can change the situation in the fight with international terrorism. Forces and terrorism. You ever notice how when uh, CBS or NBC News, in fact, <laughs> in fact uh, uh, oh man, about a year ago we had a clip from ABC where they used a female translator for Putin. Uh, but NBC and CBS, they often have a uh, a very um, a very uh, passive voice, 
And now in RT, RT has somebody translating Putin. Uh, we get this terrorism. And can seize the initiative. Uh, Russia's defense minister has uh, stressed that Russian strikes have helped to cut off the routes supplying the terrorists. With the airstrikes, we managed to reduce and in some areas to completely cut off the supply lines of the terrorists' trade in hydrocarbons. The main routes of the trade with Turkey have been cut off, as well as the main routes which provided the terrorists with weapons. Actually, I think the biggest thing they managed to accomplish is the U.S. actually had to step up and start actually getting involved in this fight. Remember, it had gone on for a year of airstrikes before really anything happened there. Doesn't make any sense, does it? You know what else doesn't make any sense? Sometimes that North Korea, I tell you what. What a story this is this morning. North Korea sentencing an American college student to 15 years in a North Korean prison with hard labor. Pyongyang's highest court convicted him in a one-hour trial. Weeks after his tearful public confession, he's accused of stealing a banner. God, that guy's walking weird, isn't he? That's creepy. Ooh. Ooh, I just got the eebie-jeebies looking at that. I'm going to play it again because that's weird. Uh, watch that. Oh, look at the way he's standing, you guys. Oh. Confession. He's accused of stealing a banner oh. at a hotel. Benjamin Hall has the latest for us from London on this. Boy, what a disturbing story this is, Ben. Yeah. Look, Martha, this is a complete sham of a trial out of North Korea at a time when the country is provoking, pushing, threatening the U.S. and all other countries around the world. Today, that 21-year-old University of Virginia student, Otto Vombier, was paraded in front of cameras after the shock announcement that he had been sentenced to 15 years of hard labor simply for trying to take a banner from his hotel. The trial lasted just one hour, and after the sentencing, he broke down. My brother and my sister need me. I beg that you see how I am only human. Wow. This is how awful. I have made the worst mistake of my life. Warmbier was arrested in early January as he tried to leave the country at the end of a New Year's guided tour. A couple of weeks before this trial, he told a gathering reporters that in Pyongyang he wanted the banner only as a trophy. Martha. So what's going to happen to him now? Well, it's unclear where he's going to be held immediately, but the dictator Kim Jong-un does have a vast network of labor camps. It's estimated that oh, 200,000 people are held in them, including children, oh, and defectors have told how torture and abuse of the worst kind are routine. The North does have a habit of bartering back Western prisoners. Bill Clinton visited the country in 2009 to help secure the release of two other Americans, but that took a very long time to arrange. And at the moment, relations with the North is at an all-time low. They've been testing nuclear bombs, ballistic missiles. So it does seem as if Otto von Bier may be there for a very long time. Martha. What a rough situation uh, for him and for his family. Benjamin, thank you. Come, Yikes. Yikes. A little bill jumping in there at the end, too. You hear that? Yikes. Shake it off, guys. Shake it off. Oh, shake shake it off. So let's talk about oil. And then uh, we do probably have some other news. It's actually newsworthy this week to talk about. Oil? Have you been watching this? Ugh! My oil is going up! Well, my gas. <laughs> Not that kind of gas. Although sometimes. Jeez. Maybe this is going to change something. Right, we have some breaking news on oil. Liz, what's going on with yeah, oil? Yeah, basically the Obama administration is going to say no to oil and gas drilling off the southeast coast of the United States. Well, uh, so they're going to yank it. They're basically going to reject it. And here's what's going on. There's uh, an estimated um, $30 trillion 
cubic feet of net gas there, you know, hundreds of millions of barrels of oil. Uh, they're basically saying we will not allow any oil drilling off of the coast of Georgia, Virginia, ah, uh, and the southeast coast That's right interesting now. because a lot prices. of the governors of those states and yeah. their representatives have been calling for this. What? And oh, it was a bit of a really? surprise when the Obama administration said, all right, let's look at this. But all right. what? pressure from the uh, the greenies yeah and also uh, interestingly enough reports indicate oh, the defense department was opposed to it as well we'll what? track it for you and find out why the defense department mm. was opposed to oh drilling. man that's got to be hard for fox because of course they're driven by the defense department and that's really where their loyalties lie but yet at the same time it's a chance to poke fun at environmentalists you know those stupid efforts who care about the earth oh man the southeast, east so coast more of, uh, energy United. and more jobs yeah just yeah. being pulled away pulled away oh right. getting pulled away sure. oh jeez Oh, this guy's got the kind of analysis you need on that there, Fox News. <laughs> Jeez. Uh, yeah. All right. So uh, the uh, nominee for the Supreme Court by President Obama was announced today. We've likely already talked about it in the main show. I like I like that his name almost sounds like Murica. It's Murick or Murica. Uh, Murick. Merck. This clip plays a little. There's there's some interesting hubbub about his age, which funny enough is that he's not young enough. When do, when have you ever heard that in politics? Let's bring in Shannon Bream, uh, who has some more information on Merrick Garland, who we're all going to get to know uh, very well. Mert. He was born in Chicago, so he has Chicago in common with the president. What else do we know about him, Shannon? All right, Martha, to me that the president has picked Merrick Garland, if that's indeed the case, and we have multiple sources telling us that, it suggests he knows the nomination is going nowhere. Not that Garland is not qualified, but he is very respected on, by lawmakers on both sides of the aisle for his intellect and relatively moderate opinions. But at 63, he would not be what we'd consider a legacy pick for the president. We would expect the president, if he thought his nominee had a real shot, to be picking someone younger. Garland's currently the chief judge of the D.C. Circuit. That's just one level below the Supreme Court. And as Kevin said, we've talked about several of the current justices now on the bench served at the D.C. Circuit, sort of a feeding ground to the nation's highest court. He graduated first in his class from Harvard undergrad, went on to graduate Harvard Law, magna cum laude, did clerk for Justice William Brennan. He's been uh, in private practice and has worked uh, many times in many years as a federal prosecutor. It gives him a really unique background. By the way, he oversaw the investigations into the Oklahoma City bombing and also into the Unabomber case. So he's got that mix of both uh, federal uh, public service, but also now on the bench, but has served in private practice. Uh, he is somebody who is well regarded, and I think that that's one of the reasons the president chose him is because he's had bipartisan support in the past. But let's keep in mind, too, he's now been on the bench for scores of years. I want to say probably 19 or 20 almost, and that leaves a really long paper trail. It's also something you wouldn't want to see in a serious contender or nominee because it gives critics all kinds of things to wow. pick through, uh, looking at things he's uh, authored as a majority opinion writer, things he's voted for, the dissents he's written. I mean, it just gives them so much material. It's something the president has to consider uh, and not something you would normally see um, in a serious contender, wow. Martha. I mean, that is such an interesting take, Shannon, especially since uh, it, there's the feeling that the president has considered Merrick Garland uh, before when he's made nominations. Right. So what you're suggesting is perhaps that he's putting Merrick Garland forward because he wants to give him a nod. He wants to say, you know, I appreciate your service. I think you're a wonderful judge. In a perfect world, I would love for you to be on the Supreme Court. Um, but it sounds like nothing that you're saying adds up to a, an actual recipe for getting him through. 
Yeah, I mean, he does have the uh, qualifier in that he has had bipartisan support in the past. He didn't have a cakewalk through the Senate, but I want to say the vote was somewhere 76 to 23. I mean, it, there was some GOP support for him for sure. And people on the Hill will tell you he is a brilliant guy. There are a number of sitting Republican senators who have sung his praises. So it's not that he doesn't have the bipartisan support, um, but it, the fact is, he's the, the, unless something radically changes with the GOP uh, in the Senate, he's not going to go anywhere. Uh, Garland was on the short list five, six years ago when we were looking at the nominations of Sotomayor and Kagan. Mm -hmm. um, so he's always been extremely well regarded, but I think the window would have been better for him as a serious nominee yeah. back then. At 63 now, less of a serious contender, we would think, if a president wants to leave a legacy on the court. Shannon, any indication that there will be that change uh, from the GOP on the Senate side and that they'll say, you know, it is our responsibility and advise and consent to have a hearing to give him to give him that much? You know, we have heard um, some peeps from a couple of GOP senators who said, well, I think that maybe we should consider doing this. Zero of them on the Senate Judiciary Committee, though. You'll remember that every GOP member of the Senate Judiciary Committee signed on to a letter saying there is no way they would move forward. Not even one of them would break ranks on the committee. Of course. That's all I really didn't know there, isn't it? Mr. Chase is almost here. I got just a little more stuff. Oh, yes. You know what? I was saving this for when Chase gets here, but because we have other things we may want to talk about. I'm going to play it for you right now. And it's about Google's AI, the Google AlphaGo from Mastermind. And uh, this is just really, sometimes we like to do this here in the overtime, is market for historical purposes. So going back to the Unfilter catalog, you know this is the week this happened. And by now, I'm sure most of you know the story. But if you Special don't... intelligence had feelings... Its ego might be a little bruised right now. World champion Go player Lee Settle has finally racked up a win against Google's AlphaGo software. But the win is more for pride than anything else. The AI won the first three games of the Best of Five series and therefore has an unbeatable lead. Now the fifth and final match is on Tuesday. Now it's one thing to be able to stare down your opponent, reading their every expression, but when it's man versus machine, Artificial intelligence easily wins the battle of the mind game. Uh, European Go champion Fan Hui learned just that when playing Google's AI last year. I asked him how difficult it is when your opponent literally has no emotion. When we play the real Go, uh, Go game with another people, I don't, we don't need talk, but I can feel something. You feel, you feel good my move, you feel bad my move. Maybe you feel another thing, but I can feel something by you. But play with AlphaGo, you feel nothing. So when you play, you have more than more questions about yourself. For beginning, I just think my move is okay. But more than more, because AlphaGo gives me zero information, more than more, I ask questions. My move is real good. Maybe it's bad. All the time, I'm choice my move. So more than more, it looks like I play my move, and AlphaGo play my another move. I say, oh, why I don't choose this one? Maybe another one is better. Look like this, you will lose more than more confidence. You can feel his frustration. Now, as Fan points out, it is a whole new mind game when you're playing a computer. But Google engineers expect their program to adopt a very human trait by learning from its mistakes. Now, DeepMind co-founder and CEO Demis Hassabis describes the loss as very valuable. I spoke with him earlier, asking how it feels to have created such powerful AI. 
To be honest with you, it's pretty hard to take in. Um, I don't think it's sunk in yet, and I don't think it will sink in for many weeks to, uh, you know, in the future. So, um, you know, we were, we're sort of exhilarated and excited about uh, how the match has gone um, and uh, also quite relieved. Now, during Game 4, you tweeted about the mistake that AlphaGo made that cost it the game. You said this, quote, mistake was on move 79, but AlphaGo only came to that realization on around move 87. And uh, what I find very curious about that is how does a machine come to realize it made a mistake? Because that seems very human-like to me. Yes, um, I was meaning that in kind of a logical way. So uh, Mr. Lee played an incredible move on move 78 that AlphaGo did not predict. So AlphaGo gave the chances of, of him making that move less than one in 10,000. So in some sense, that really shocked uh, AlphaGo, the system. Um, and, um, and then for a few moves, it got confused and misevaluated the position it was in. And it was only um, a few moves later on move 87 that uh, it realized in the sense that the evaluation of the position um, became more accurate again and it realized uh, that it was actually in a really bad position. And let's talk about how AlphaGo works because it's not pre-programmed, it doesn't rely on brute force search, it actually uses um, learning, deep learning in neural networks. Uh, what does that mean to a general audience? That's right. So this is a very different type of program to maybe the Deep Blue program that beat Gary Kasparov. Um, most uh, AI programs are uh, programmed directly with the solutions. Uh, and then the program kind of dumbly executes that solution. Uh, with AlphaGo, it's very different. Uh, we use neural networks uh, to, uh, to allow AlphaGo to learn, first of all, by looking at, at professional games and learning the kinds of patterns professional human players make. Uh, and then it tries to get better um, than human players by practicing through self-play, playing against older versions of itself and learning from its own mistakes. Um, so if a mistake, if it makes a mistake that led to a loss, it will slightly adjust its system and uh, to make that, um, the chance of that mistake slightly less in the future. And when you watch AlphaGo, this is your creation, um, are you amazed by what it's picked up and what it's learned and, and what it's capable of doing? Yeah, we are really amazed and, uh, you know, it's thanks to the amazingly talented AlphaGo team working on this. Yeah, it actually is a pretty cool thing. Uh, it's been neat to watch that this week. Hello there, Mr. Chase. Hello. Hello, Mr. Chris. What do you think about the AlphaGo stuff? It's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know much about it to uh, to give a, a full. Uh, you know, the thing about the opinion. Go game, right, is that it's uh, it's a uh, it's not it's not like a game of logic necessarily. So that's right. why it's kind of interesting. How you doing, Mr. Chase? You know, I. Uh, as you know, I mean, a lot of people don't know, but uh, I've been uh, pretty exhausted these past few weeks. Yeah, yeah. Um, so uh, It's nice that the sun's out for the drive Oh, home. my gosh. Well, yeah, you know, some people do complain about DST. I, I, I'm one of those people that actually enjoy the extra daylight in the summertime, especially, you know, it's 10 o'clock. It's, you know, it's still some light out there. It, you know, you can enjoy some beautiful summer nights. It's true. Uh, it's true. That and is so coming. right now, you know, sun's out out here in the west. And uh, it's in today. It's finally it's sun after like what almost two and a half weeks of That's some crazy, 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 crazy weather. Crazy, it's been crazy nuts. stuff. Uh, hello, Mister Lou. Are you on the line? Yeah, I'm on the line again, Chris. Uh, hello, hello. How's it going, sweet Lou? Uh, what you feel like talking about uh, before we start the show today? Hello. Uh, 
Not a whole lot. You know, just, <laughs> I, I wanted to. Well, I wanted to say earlier that uh-huh. I, I had a talk with a, with some people about you know pot legalization. Sure. And that. Yeah. The 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 wreck the wrecky right the wrecky Mary. Yeah. Yeah. The uh, the uh, the uh, loose MJ. The uh, the pot as it is. Right. Yeah. I follow you. I follow you. I get you. <laughs> Yeah, no, I'm very, I'm pro medical use and I'm sure. pro recreational use. Hmm, so that's use. shocking to me. That's just shocking. Does that, does that surprise you, Chase? Is that shocking? Well, well as, now, a, these, as a listener, sure, I'm really shocked. These people, you know, this one person I was talking to, uh-huh. is, you know, pro medical use, but yet at the same time, she's anti recreational use, you know. Did you punch this person in the face, or did it, did it go? No, 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 okay, no. Okay. And person I, you know, respect, you know, so. <sighs> That's good. That's good. I'm glad. I'm glad. So, now, is there any kind of advice or any kind of takeaway that you would like for Mr. Chase and I? Because we're here uh, to provide that for you if you do need it. Um, yeah, you know, keep on doing what you're doing, you know? Mr. Lou, you know what? I appreciate that. Hello, Thank you very much for calling in. You, sir, are a, uh, a soldier. All right, Chase. So uh, uh, we have something uh, oh, something to reveal to the audience. Oh, oh, <clears throat> wait. We're going to, what, uh, we're going to well, address uh, in front of pull, everybody? Pull up the Patreon page and double check for me. Will you uh, do the math? Make uh, sure. See, have we reached the milestone where we're supposed to reveal the secret plans? Could you just double I th- check I for me? We, I thought we already... I thought this happened already. Yeah, it happened, and then it unhappened like it always does. And now I Uh, think it's happened again, but I uh, think this time it's happened by enough of a margin. Oh. Yeah. All right. right. So you tell me that. I'm heading over to Patreon.com. It is your decision. It is your decision if we should reveal the final part of the secret plans. Well, part two of the secret plans. All right. What do you think? What do you think? What are you looking at? What do you got? I have an asterisk. So here's what I'm thinking. Okay. You and I both know in two weeks the new month turns over. Okay, right? April, April comes yep, yep. And let me let me look at the at the actual calendar here. So we will be doing a show, uh, if all all is good, on April sixth. Okay. That's the first Wednesday uh, of the new month. If this holds, if this reward holds in two weeks, uh-huh. then we reveal. Okay. Because if it, it, here's the thing, if we reveal now, what happens at the top of the month? It slides cards, back. Cards get right. canceled. And you know what? And you know what? Things happen all the time. To be honest with you, uh, to be honest with you, what I'm doing in the, on the back end is actually going to cost me money every single month. Wow! And so I want to make sure it holds. Yes. Okay. okay, that's a good call. So we will not reveal part two of the secret plans if, today. If the, if if the if that secret okay. goal, all right. all right, which right now the previous goal. Let me let me add, let, look. Go up here real quick here. Uh-huh, uh, uh-huh. Does, it doesn't show the previous goals anymore, does it? It doesn't collapse in there. No, not anymore. Jesus, the new UI. Well, anyways, there you go. There you go. Decision has been made, ladies and gentlemen. Part two of the secret plans will be revealed on the April sixth broadcast. As long as the current as the goal holds, if we don't slide below that milestone, I think I'll have to log in and check the. the thing. Yeah, you're gonna do okay. All I'll right, check. fair I'll enough. Check. Fair enough. There you go. So they, okay. All right. Yes. Well, you know, I think what I might do though uh. is because I'm working on it. I could drop a few hints between now and then. Sure, sure. Uh, yeah. it could be. Yeah, yeah. You, can, you can. I won't give it away. It's a it's a tease. I will make sure that I get your permission before I give away part two. But I might give a few hints. By the way, I don't know if you. You heard? Uh, I mean, I, I I've done another commercial. <laughs> no, do you want to save it for the show again? No, wait. Did I? Did I? Let me ask you this. First uh-huh. off, I, I've done two commercials. One, by the way, it's been playing all over Como News, which really? has been weird because like I, I've been driving home and then I hear me. It's weird. I mean, I 
don't get me wrong, you guys. Obviously, you know, some of us podcasters, we do podcastings to hear ourselves speak. It happens. <laughs> uh, yeah. It's true. Oh, my gosh. It's true. Oh, wow. Let's just be honest here, right? But that being said, it is weird when you hear yourself on the radio on a on a on a medium that anybody can randomly tune into and hear your voice. I just think it, 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 there's something magical about that. Yeah, that yeah, being said, sure. that being said, um, did I ever share with you guys the 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 Luma Apartments? I, wasn't that the first one? No, no. The can, first... you, can you play it again just so I, sure, I don't, sure, I'm not sure, sure if we remember because you may have, but to be honest with you, it, it wouldn't hurt to have a refresher from it. Sure. So I'm, I'm not sure. You can, and you can pause the music track if you want there because uh, we, yeah. can, we, can, we can switch over officially. Actually, you know what, dude? Check this out. I can pause it from over here with remote control. You work on that, and I've already paused oh, the I, music. I've, uh, yeah, I've, I'm ready to play. So I, so I don't know if I played this, but here I'll play okay, it. Okay, go ahead. Quintessential Seattle living has arrived. Luma condominiums. So have I played that? Yeah, well, keep going. Keep going. Okay. At the it. intersection of First Hill and the Pike Pine, it's... Sorry. <laughs> Don't pause. Don't pause. Keep going. <laughs> Sorry. It's half haven, half hotspot. <laughs> Move-in starts this summer, and model homes are now available for hard hat tours. Hard hat. Luma is set in a head-turning First Hill location with old-world architecture and tree-lined streets. The craftiest cocktails and the most talked about cuisines. You'll even have your choice of mountain, lake, sound, or downtown views. Call today to schedule your tour of one and two bedroom model residences and see the modern lines and classic finishes for yourself. But visit soon. Move in start this summer. Homes are still available from the high 400,000s. Visit liveluma.com. Chase, I don't want to make you uncomfortable, but I think I kind of have a semi right now. That was right. awesome. All right. Well, now, now, Chris, I know if this podcasting thing doesn't work no, out. No, hold for on. It. Do you want to play it now or do you want to wait for the show? I, I think we should play it. We can do both. Oh, well, I mean, because people now that the overtime, the overtime's attached to the main oh, show. Oh, that's true. That's true. But, so I don't want you to. But I mean, I was thinking in case from the high of four hundred thousand. Yeah. But, all right. No. Yeah, for it, the high, if you want to save it, <laughs> you can. But if you want to play it now, you're welcome. It's your choice. I think I should save it now because okay. in case this podcasting thing doesn't work out yeah. for you. Okay. I don't right. know. I mean, it, it's not as good for the main show, I think. But in case this podcasting gig doesn't work out for you, there's somebody that's hiring that you might want to I'm check ready. out. I'm ready. If you like a fun, fast-paced work environment, here's an employment opportunity that can provide you with an excellent future. Les Schwab Tire Centers, oh, the West's yeah. largest independent tire retailer, is now hiring in the Seattle area. Yes. Built on dedication and hard work, the company began over 60 years ago and now has over 450 locations throughout the West. For exceptional employee benefits and promotion opportunities, consider joining the Les Schwab team. Check out and apply online at Les Schwab. Schwab.com. Les Schwab is an equal opportunity employer and a drug-free workplace. Oh, oh. <laughs> I was almost sold. Oh.